Okay, episode 20 of the Melbourne Flow podcast. I'm joined by the extremely intelligent and incredible Jim Fuller and Chris McLaughlin for this episode. So Jim and Chris, along with a gentleman by the name of Michael Fox, run a company called the Fable Food Co. So Fable Food produced meat alternatives that provide the nutritional goodness of mushrooms along with having a minimal environmental impact. So Jim is a mycologist and chef with over a decade's worth of experience in the field and Chris has a background in permaculture, biodynamics and regenerative farming systems. Man, that was hard to say. This guy has studied things that I can barely pronounce. Sorry, Jim's actually an ex-chef. He's um, concentrating full-time on mycology, which I'm glad he is because the amount of info these guys laid on me just blew my mind. Uh, in typical fashion, we did go in many tangents, uh, but I hope you guys enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it with Jim and Chris. Uh, as always, this podcast is supported by Studio 3 Australia, which is hands down, in my opinion, the best yoga and Pilates studio in Melbourne, if not Victoria, if not Australia. Be sure that you book in the classes quick because they're usually booked out. Anyway, episode 20 of the Melbourne Flow podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. Awesome. So, talk to me about Fable. Firstly, I want to start with you, Jim, because mm-hmm. I, I know Jim uh, for maybe about five years ago, I think we met. And um, Texan man, yeah, worked in fine dining in Texas, mm-hmm. barbecue, mm-hmm. then got on to mushrooms. Yeah. What, what, was the, what was the sort of transition there? Why mushrooms? And then why, why the, 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 I guess, the mycology studies yeah. after yeah. that? Well, that's a that's a big question. Man, we've got plenty of time. <laughs> we just started on the bottle as well. So. Yeah, cool. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to be a scientist. Um, whenever I very first met Rita, my wife, she was an Australian. We met on the internet and she moved over yeah. to Texas. Oof, 99? She moved to Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So she came over there. Oh, it was 20, it's 2000. It was in 2000, sorry. Anyway, she moved over there. We met online before she moved over there. Was so it, we were talking like, on the internet. Was this like on a, on a dating website? No. This is the first thing that most people think. Like they if you meet online, but, it's, but that's oh, yeah. what you do now. Yeah. Oh, but back then, back then, it was way different. You, you weren't supposed to meet people online. So yeah. You meet people yeah. that you met online. Back then, it was more taboo. If you yeah. met people yeah. in, in real life, yeah. if you met online, you were weird. Yeah, no, that is super weird, right? So I took my buddy. I took my buddy. So we had been talking for about two years yeah. online. She was in Australia. I was, I was over there. Um, and she got the opportunity to come over to the States yeah. to finish her degree. But she was going to go work at Harvard. She, had, she was like, she signed up to go work with a guy at a lab that was at Harvard. She was going to go to Harvard. Just so happens, they moved their lab to San Antonio at the last minute. And that's why she went to Texas. She didn't go to Texas for me. Yeah. Through the Texas following that. And if I would have met her, I would have had to move up to Boston and all that stuff if yeah. it all played out the way it actually did. So she got in the country um, and I was like, all right, so this chick from Australia is here. And I was telling my, my friends, you know, like, I'm going to go meet her. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I was working, I was a chef at, at that time. I was working 65 hour weeks. I was just killing it. And then as soon as you get off work, you go, you drink, have fun. You go to bed at uh, 3 a.m. or whatever, wake up yeah. sort of next day and do it all again. Anyway, like I got off 
at around 11, went to a party, and was yeah. like, hey, I'm going to go meet this chick from Australia. And my buddy was like, you, you can't just do that. You can't go meet somebody without without taking some people, you know? Like, take some people. So I was like, okay, you want to come? What if little five-foot-two <laughs> reader is actually seven-foot-four? Yeah, four? yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. You don't know who that is on the other end. Right? Exactly, yeah. So my buddy, his name is Spike. He had just got out of the penitentiary. Got out of the right name. Yeah, Spike. So I told Rita, I was like, on the phone, I was like, yeah, I'm coming. I'm bringing my buddy Spike. And she thought I was bringing my dog. <laughs> she had no clue. I, I didn't introduce who Spike was. I was just yeah. like, I'm bringing him. So anyway, that was at like 11 whenever I got off work. And it's a five, six hour drive to San Antonio. So like, oh, yeah. Geez. Yeah. So we, we hauled ass. I think we made it in four or five hours. We got there. Um, and it just so happens. San Antonio is massive. I didn't know anything about San Antonio. I'm just like, well, get to San Antonio. Yeah. Then we'll call her and find out where she is. This was like... No Google Maps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this was it. Yeah. I mean, and even smartphones. Not, they weren't smart. No, we still had... <laughs> it was still the Briggs back then, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I think I had my Nokia 910 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. whatever. We were like yeah. playing Snakes. Snakes yeah. was the guy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So anyway, we get into town and I call her from a yeah. payphone because my mobile was either dead or not working. I, I don't remember. Even if I even had a good mobile, can't, can't be certain. And Spike only uses payphones. Yeah, <laughs> Spike only uses payphones. So anyway, we, Always drove, carries we drove into San Antonio, got the first payphone that we could find on the, on the road in. And this, like I said, it's massive. It's like 30 miles wide and yeah. all this. And she's like, I live on off of Fredericksburg Road. You know, in this in this medical district, and I was like, "Wait, I saw like medical signs around here, so like it must be close." So we actually went and got a map, and she was like five minutes from where I called her. I was like, "Great!" Oh, how good's that? Yeah. So we pulled up to this uh, gated apartment community, and and you don't have apartment communities here like you do in the states. Like we have like full like cities like in apartments. Yeah, right? compounds yeah. exactly. So it's like people living on top of people up three or four stories high, and then there'd be a a building of six houses or 12 or whatever. And yeah. then you'd have like 10 or 20 of those in one complex. So yeah. like, you lived in like a little community and they had the gym and all, you know, it's like a nice little community. Yeah. So anyway, I roll up there and she's like, I got to let you in at the gate. So you're about five minutes away. I'll go wait for you. So yeah, got there, rolled in. And as soon as we pulled up, like it was like three or four in the morning, <laughs> the, the gate rolled back and I couldn't see anybody fuck's going on <laughs> and then you know behind a bush you can see there's little five foot nothing Rita coming out right? <laughs> and I'm like okay stand down Spike <laughs> you know so I got out and, and, and it was go back to the car yeah it was it was pretty magical like I mean this was it, this is a nice romantic story it doesn't really lead to mycology but you know we met and, and yeah. all that so that was great um so I, I decided at that point, whenever I very first met Rita, she was a scientist and was like, that's great. I'm going to eventually do something in science. Yeah. So uh, I, at this point, only had the, what do you call it, GED? Yeah. What do you call it here? Like uh, the general education diploma. Oh, equivalent of VCE. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't finish high school. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't. Not because <laughs> it was too hard, but because there were way too many opportunities outside of school yeah. during the daytime. Like, you could go make money. Yeah. So I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I did that, but I didn't graduate. So like I ended up graduating with a general diploma. Yeah. But then like I wanted to do something. I wanted to go higher and I wanted to, I didn't know if I wanted to get like, like she was on the track to get a doctorate, you know, like I didn't know if I wanted to do that or not, but I knew that I loved science. Yeah. At that point, 
I was like, I want to go get some stuff and just take up hobbies and see what science I like. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm going to do business school. Yeah. So I like, go to college and get like a business degree. Yeah, that's and, smart move. Yeah. Well, yeah. that time I was like, business will just kind of work with anything. And yeah. then I just stacked up the sciences as well because yeah. I knew that eventually, wherever I went, where we wanted to move back to Australia eventually. Yeah. Like the only things that would transfer back if I transferred mid degree were science, math, engineering, like yeah. those things. This was back in the days whenever Australia was hardcore like that. Yeah. Like English wouldn't transfer, liberal arts, there's nothing you could take that would transfer. Now it's a little bit different. Yeah. Even whenever I whenever I finished my degree, I finished it here, um, 2009 at University of Melbourne. Yeah. Elongated period of time. Yeah. Um, but even then, they were introducing what they call like breadth, breadth mm. courses. So it's like they were adopting more of the American style system. Yeah. So, you know... I transferred all my credits in. They were all science and, and whatever. Yeah. And I built it that way because I knew that you couldn't transfer in history and, and arts or whatever. Yeah. So I didn't take any of that. And that's why I didn't get a degree over there. I could have because I stayed over there long enough. I waited for my, my visa to get here like six years. Yeah. So I could have finished the degree and, and been well on my way. But you, you never know how that stuff's going to go. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. So too many tangents there. but. I I'm enjoying it. <laughs> what happened to Spike? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Spike made it amazing, like an amazing third wheel. Yeah. Really. So, like, I met her. We, we, we initially clicked. Like, we didn't even speak at first. We kissed. Like, yeah. the embrace was warm and all that. It was like, okay, this is, this is the person that I've been talking to and all that. Yeah. So, we went and stayed, like, the weekend in her, in her apartment. Like, you know, this was scary for her. Yeah. But anyway, like. See Spike. Yeah. <laughs> we were, we. Our first date was at Hooters. <laughs> really? Because of Spike. <laughs> Rita loves Hooters. Like you can imagine, like taking a girl to Hooters as a date. She'd be like, "No, I'm not fucking go there." Like, no. <laughs> but Rita was like, "Okay, well, Spike wants to go. You know, he's gonna pay for us. You know, all that kind of Fair stuff." Yeah. So our first, second, and third dates were all at Hooters. Yeah. Because she was like, "Wow, these are great rings, and the beers are like on special, like two or three dollars for a, what, a pint, you call it." Yeah. Uh, not a pint though. It was like the the bigger pint. Yeah, yeah. I think the British pint. I don't know the the big one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's like three dollars fifty in happy hour for one of those big. Yeah. Anyway, Spike stayed and was a wonderful third wheel. Yeah. And then all the trips after that, I didn't have to take him, but you know. Yeah. He, he gave me his blessing after that too. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, all right. You, you, you can... still talk to Spike? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what's what's, 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 what's he do? He's a um, works in an oil field, a roughneck. Awesome. In the yeah. States. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. In my hometown of Midland. Everyone either goes into professional sports. Yeah. So, and it's football. Yeah. Um, there is baseball that goes out of there, but it's mainly football. Or they go work in the oil field. Yeah. Those are the two sort of major spinoffs. And my thinking back then was I'm going to go be a chemical engineer mm. because chemical engineering in the oil field make hella cash you know yeah, like you can, not roughnecking <laughs> yeah no i'm not roughnecking no i never thought i would go out and, and sling those pipes you know yeah. i'm not, never gonna do that but i did think and you know, i'm gonna be a scientist working for the oil field and you yeah. can walk out of college at 90 grand you know like yeah walk into a job making 90k 90k us yeah i was about to say yeah US, yeah so and i mean that was back whenever i was a kid who knows now yeah like what they would make so that was my original inspiration i want to be a scientist i knew you could make a lot of money in chemical engineering yeah. So that's kind of the way I went. You know, it's like stack up chemicals, stack up engineering, stack up all that other stuff. So the reason that I ended up with biology and co coming into mycology, yeah, 
all the while I'm going to school, I was a fine dining chef. So yeah. like that's kind of in the background at this point. Like whenever I moved in to meet, to stay with Rita, I took a job, full-time job working as a fine dining chef. And that, you know, that is what it is. Like yeah. I'm happy to talk about food and all those things, but that, that was literally like a grind. And there were some really interesting things that came out of being a chef. Mm. But, uh, you know, I was a full-time chef going to school full-time and stacking up my credits that I could transfer to Australia uh, it was all going to be chem- chemistry and engineering because I wanted to be a chemical engineer. Yeah. But I ran out of courses that I could take, and, and I knew that breadth, like, I couldn't transfer over English and arts and whatever. So I was like, okay, well, I'll stack up some biologies. Maybe those sciences will transfer over because, yeah. like I said, it, you know, it takes six years to get this freaking visa. Didn't know. I got denied the first application, denied the second application for reasons. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> because I didn't apologize on the second one. Anyway, that's an official thing. You need to apologize if you if you stuff up uh, in an official document to the Australian what? government. If you, you stuff up the first one. What, what's the apology? Well, I needed to apologize for not revealing it, all this weird... Okay, so the first one... <laughs> we'll great. get to the mycology eventually. No, let's go down this rabbit hole. Okay. So the first time I got denied was because I had... A an illegitimate what do you call it? it a son, a, a child yeah, out, out, of wedlock, out of wedlock. <laughs> out of wedlock. It's yeah. not illegitimate. It's is not it? illegitimate. No, I don't think. I don't it think it so. is illegitimate. I, is if it is, it's a terrible character. I know, right? But so I think I'm thinking like my first thing: child out of wedlock. Yeah. Had a child out of wedlock, and she knew about it before she ever met me. Like, yeah. but you know, we never had that relationship. Whatever. Yeah. This child was being adopted by a uh, by another man who was now like you know, going to marry or was married to the woman who had this child. Yeah. So it was a a process. He was being adopted, like, while I was writing out the, you know, the application. Yeah. So I didn't claim him because by the time it got to Australia, it wasn't going to, I wasn't going to have a dependent. Yeah, exactly. That I could, you know, pass on my uh, Australian citizenship to if I ever got it, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So I didn't tell him about that. Just so happened that this thing took a little bit longer, and whenever they did the checks, like I still had this dependent, and they're yeah. like, "No, no, you've got a dependent you didn't claim." Yeah, I'm like, "Jesus, well, you know, now, even now that you've said it, it it's, it's, it's happened, done. it's yeah. done." Yeah, and they're like, "Okay, well, you can just you can apply again." Okay, I applied again. This was literally two years already. Didn't apologize. He didn't apologize. But who do you apologize to? Tass. The government. <laughs> this is an official Australian thing. If you lie to them. This yeah. is your character on the on show. Yeah. If you don't apologize officially, and you need to stat deck your apology. I didn't realize that. <laughs> you need to stat deck your apology. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. So I didn't we take, apologize. We take our citizenship for granted. Strike two. And they said, and strike three will be forever. You won't get in if you get strike three. Who told you you needed to apologize officially? Uh, well, the, the people who... Um, Denied my second application. Oh, like, so they, this is the this is the reason why you're being denied your second application. Oh wow! Yeah, your character character flaw. So it, it's a character clause. Yeah, there. You know, they always they check character. If you're over eighteen years old and you're a descendant of an Australian, it doesn't matter. You can't get your you can't get an Australian citizenship even if you're a descendant of an Australian yeah. if you have a flawed character. So. Character flaws are all kinds of things. Uh, felon, yeah. you know, heinous crimes, X, yeah. Y, Z. And if you lie, <laughs> which, you know, okay, I didn't, I mean, officially, I guess if you follow the the time points, it was a lie. Yeah. I had to wear that, right? I yeah. had to. 
because I did lie because I didn't write it at that moment. Anyway, I digress all those ways. Yeah. But this is why it took me six years to get a freaking visa here. This is so interesting. I, I did not know about this. I did not know about this official apology. I don't think I've officially apologized to anyone. Ever. It is something that you are you have to do. Especially, I mean, if you're a foreigner, it's a bigger deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to put you in jail if you don't apologize, or they're yeah. not going to fine you if you don't apologize. Yeah. But you're not likely to get like the high mark or the high honors yeah. if your character is in question. And who knows, like what it would be here. Yeah. For them to question your character, you know, like they're yeah. judging it all the times. But anyway, yeah, my apologies. So this <laughs> is after not apologizing to the government, yeah, 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 and then apologizing. So that's the reason why it took so long to get this visa, and that's the reason why it took so long, and I didn't finish my degree there, like I, because I could have, like I said, but. You know, two years later, I sent another visa in, and we think it'll be another six months or a year or yeah. whatever. So I, I, I was like, mm, I'm going to move to Australia pretty soon. So don't take those other things so you can graduate in America. Anyway, that's why. That's the yeah. reason why, you know, it took nine years to get a freaking bachelor's degree. Man. Because I kept stagging up science. And over there, you can't graduate with only those things. Yeah. So uh, we ended up moving out to California following her job, still waiting for the visa. We had applied again, and it still took another two years. Yeah. Um, and she got a job out at the Buck Institute in North Bay Area, San Francisco. I, at that point, had decided I'm not going to be a chef anymore. I'm not going to do. So- I'm not going to do school anymore. Like I've got all the credits that I want to transfer to Australia, and that last application is in. Like we're just waiting. Yeah. It ended up being like I said, two years, but we're just waiting. So I'm going to go out and get a job. So I looked for jobs for three months, and couldn't find anything that like really stimulated my brain or anything like that. And so I, I was like, no, nah, I'll just wait till I find the right one. Spawn supervisor at a mushroom farm came up on this site over there called Craigslist. Yeah. Are you yeah. familiar with Craigslist? Yeah. It's like Gray's online, but mm-hmm. bigger yeah. and better. Yeah. Everyone, I think to be honest, that's not what <clears throat> generally I, uh, I recall Craigslist as being for the, the well, I, I <laughs> mean, I see it being characterized for on the internet. Oh yeah. No, you get anything jobs. you want. Oh, dude, I'm seeing something it's the up. anything you want part. Yeah. yeah. It's anything you want. Um, I've heard a story of this guy on Craigslist that um, offered to eat someone and then someone signed someone. up for it. Yeah, it sounds like Craigslist. I, I, yeah. I, anything I you want. That. that was a good years ago. Yeah, anything so, yeah. you want. And it's legal to request anything. Like, yeah. You don't have to have done it. Like you haven't acted. You haven't done the act. Yeah. Or yeah. that guy ended up in jail. The, ended up. Because I mean, he, he went through with it. The guy went over. <laughs> yeah. And like got eaten. Awesome. Got eaten. There you go. Yeah. Like, yeah. Craigslist. So on Craigslist, <laughs> yeah, yeah so I was looking for my job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to spare lawnmower, you want to get eaten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of evens out. One end of the spectrum, this is one end yeah. of the spectrum. Yeah. So I did, I, I looked all that period of time, I was looking on, on Craigslist, and this one came up. Spawn Supervisor to Mushroom Farm. And, and it, the, it recurred to me that in one of those biologies that I had just taken in the last year or so, because I took a biology because I was stacking up the science, um, one of the teachers had said there are not enough mycologists in the world. Hmm. Passing comment in a, a section that I recall being only like one or two lessons out of the whole year, hmm. fungi. 
you know, like in biology, inter- introductory. It is one of the yeah, yeah. Kingdoms. Like, yeah, we'll yeah. Spend, we'll talk mainly about we'll plants. Ten minutes on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but then there's fungi, and and you know, you go through the section really quickly. And his comment was, "There's not enough mycologists in the world." That's why the section in his curriculum is pretty. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 no, like that, it would be only like three or four of the pages, you yeah. know, like, and and that's the thing. Which is interesting because when I think about mushrooms, there's so many different iterations of, of species, isn't there? I think it's because they're literally and then figuratively and culturally underground. Yeah. Like all of those things. 95 percent yeah. of the biomass is yeah. underground. And so people's level of awareness about yep. it plays this not your face. role. Yeah. But it's not like the plants are the things that pop you know, you yeah. get little mushrooms pop up, but in terms of the volume of biomass, yeah. Trees, animals, plants. And then little bits of fungi, yeah. it's like, so we don't yeah. notice it and it doesn't occupy people's And there's a whole bunch of pretty in the scene world, you know, like you see the strong, sturdy tree trunks and, you know, the beautiful leaves and the flowers. Yeah. So that's why we spend all the time talking about those things. Yeah. And then there's like nature's plant. recyclers that take care of all that stuff and put it back in the ground. Yeah. We it's don't all see underground. that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't see that happen. We're just, we just so happen. And this is the thing is we don't see it. That's... And there's so much complexity in the fact that we don't see it. Like he's saying, it's underground and we don't see it, but it's there. So we don't see all that shit. Yeah. We don't see the plants like stack up a mile high in the forest because that's what would happen with all the trees and branches falling. Like if nothing yeah. was recycling that back into the earth, yeah, right? It'll come apart. Then you would see it. <laughs> yeah. You'd see it not working. Yeah. Then you'd be less happy with your plants. Be like, these fucking plants keep piling up. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so it, it, this is this is, was a passing comment. Yeah. And it didn't really hit me until I got this opportunity to go work on a mushroom farm whenever I went for the interview and they're like, not enough mycologists in the world and here you go, you get this opportunity to go be a scientist working on a mushroom farm. And they were really low-key on this Craigslist site. They just said, spawn supervisor, precision, mushroom farm. Yeah. And I found out later they do that because, you know, if you if you start talking about mushrooms and shrooms and things like that, in that area, you, know, you get all the hippies coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll come and do this. I want to do that so bad. I want to do that all day. I want to do it all night. That's yeah. what I want to do. Oh, man. So, like, they thought it was a breath of fresh air that whenever I showed up, I had all of this science understanding, like all of the, the understanding about um, everything that they were wanting to do. Yeah. Plus... I had the fine dining experience of knowing what the species of mushrooms were and what they should have been and how they're supposed to look like at the end, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So like yeah. just a unique set of characteristics that I came in and they're like, yes, we have a job available and would you like to live on this mushroom farm? Because yeah, that is, yeah, because that would be part of the way we would pay you. Yeah. So I think I was making the equivalent there of about $19 an hour US. But some of that was house. my house. Yeah. Like, so that was the equivalent. I can't remember how much I took home, like something like 16 or $17 an yeah. hour or something like that. But that was the most money I'd ever made. Yeah. It was already a good deal. Yeah. But then in this, in this area, this was one hour north of San Francisco in Santa Rosa, which is in the Sonoma Valley, yeah. wine region, yeah. hills, green, Shrooms. orchards, <laughs> apple trees everywhere, and mushrooms. Like, yeah. Literally, this is the greenest, wettest place that I've ever been. And I was from Midland, Texas. Yeah, I, was, I came from the desert, the Permian Basin. If you're aware of any of like any of that stuff, they're calling like the Permian the something going on right now with all the fracking, all the oil coming out of there. Oh, it's yeah. coming out of the Permian Basin. Yeah, right underneath where I used to live. 
Um, and, you know, we've become a net exporter because of all the oil that's there being fracked out. All right. So anyway, that's if you've heard the Permian spike or the Permian this or that, that's that's where I'm from. I'm from yeah. this little desert area. The fracking is really bad for there, isn't it? <sighs> it's really bad for, well, look. It's great for people. <laughs> it's yeah. great for right now people Depends making on money. Time scale and yeah. geopolitics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone there is making hell of cash. Like the last time I went there, the inflation of the area, local area, like it costed more there than here in Australia. And I had never experienced any place in the United States that costed a fraction of what it costs to live here. Cost of living here is super high. Oh yeah, that's why your initial wages and all those things—they're really high. Like I, I, I went to be like a, a lazy chef, and I was making fifty k. Yeah, that's amazing. Like no one, no one in the states. Like you can you can imagine making a fifty k salary. Yeah, like and not be working their guts out or be at like some super high position. Yeah, like fifty k is like entry levels. Top executive. But then you got like $3.50 <laughs> beers at Hooters. So exactly. Cost yeah. of living is so much lower. And this is, I, I, I used to think of it like a Big Mac economy because you could compare the Big Macs here and compare <laughs> the Big Macs there and you could buy three or four Big Macs over there with one Big Mac here. Anyway, it's just the cheap labor. Yeah. It's, you got, you got borders and guests coming in. Yeah. And well, I say guests, the guest labor, the people in California loved it yeah. because it's agricultural, right? It's all picking. Yeah. And huge cost, and you know it from a mushroom farm, is the biggest cost is in the labor. Yeah. The picking. So these guys, they, they even had a special, you know how you call it like penalty rates and all that stuff? They had a special terminology for agricultural wages. Mm. And I think that was it. It was called agricultural, agricultural wages. wages. <laughs> <laughs> you can work 60 yeah. hours at normal time, and then anything over normal time was time and a half or time and a quarter mm, yeah. or something like that. So that's agricultural wage. And, and of course, the people in California, people in Texas, anyone who's got orchards, anyone who's got, you know, agricultural, they love cheap labor. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, that flows down. So, <laughs> so do the people eating the apples who otherwise couldn't avoid. <laughs> absolutely. And, and a major thing that you don't realize here in Australia is that you get four weeks paid vacation every year that's kind of across the board. It's yeah. not... It's not a legal requirement, is it? Two weeks is like, okay. Two, yeah, four but, weeks but is but like, typically you get yeah. anywhere you go, you you typically find four. Yeah, and two weeks sick, and you know X Y Z. Where over there, yeah. you're lucky <laughs> to get a job that will allow you to take a week off over Christmas without pay. Yeah, yeah, no pay. They they if if you've done enough through the year, if everything works out on their end. You are lucky enough to get one week unpaid. Well, I, I know because the minimum wage in the States is a lot lower mm. than it is mm. here. But it, it is... My a, first job, I was making $3.50. But it's a, what, what was your first job? Like, would, would you? I was been, serving food to old people. Then I stepped up to like... Because that wasn't regulated. So I wasn't making the, the minimum wage. I wasn't old enough to work and all kinds okay. of under the table stuff. So $3.50... The state minimum wage at that time, I think, was five dollars or five fifty. Were you were you getting tips though? No, no tips. No. So I was young, and I couldn't I couldn't fight that. Yeah. You know, I was just serving old people. It was like two hour shifts. It, you know, okay. it was just like something you pay a fourteen year old to do. Okay. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. So I mean, I literally made like seventy bucks there a week or something. You know. <laughs> yeah. I made twenty five bucks a week, thirty bucks a week, twenty five bucks a week doing paper rounds like. 
six mornings. Just a week. what you do. Four dollars or yeah. five dollars or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at, at eight or nine or whenever I started, it was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's twenty five bucks yeah. on yeah. Saturday yeah. morning. <laughs> then I get a oh. I get a major pay rise whenever I went to go actually work for five dollars fifty an hour, and then I thought, you know, well, they want you to work as much as you can. I was like I said, working sixty five hour weeks. I learned yeah. how to be like a functional member of, of, a, of a team and, you know, like an environment where you need to be there and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they depended heavily on me and that, that worked really well for me for mm. all of, of everything that happened because you can I could call back and get my reference. You know, you, what are you calling here? References. Yeah. Referees. Yeah. Yeah. So you get your references on every application over there. You got to fill out three references mm. and they call and check them. I don't know if they do here. But they do call check, and oh, yeah. all of my reference, all of my references, like gave me super glowing. They're like, he's yes. always on time. He's like super, does everything. Like he, he's great. Yeah. So like my first job in San Francisco, the fine dining thing. Yeah. Like I stepped from a short order line cook. Yeah. To being a fine dining chef. <laughs> because you know I was interviewing with just yeah go for it. I interviewed with the chef and he's like, well, how are your knife skills? How? Are you? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm good to try everything. Yeah. And you know, I haven't haven't been trained. Well, my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been trained in anything, but I I've worked 65 hour weeks in kitchens. I, I can handle it. Yeah. Anyway, he's like, all right, check your references. I've never had a better reference ever for anyone. He's like, I'll, I'll give you a shot. Yeah. You can work work in my kitchen. And he ended up promoting me to banquet chef. He ended up promoting me. Well, I promoted all the way through and worked at every station in this kitchen. And I was kind of at the level where you do anything. So you're, you know, you, you put up a roster and it's got this guy does this, this guy does this, this guy does this, all that. And then Jim comes in and he's like, wherever needs to be covered. That's like yeah. what I was doing. That's do anything. Pretty, pretty yeah, exactly. Yeah. So whenever I went off to go work in the mushroom farm and, yeah. you know, put those references like, that all yeah. worked out for me. Yeah. So I was going into a field where I had never been before. They loved this idea of, of me not knowing um, how to grow mushrooms, but knowing a lot of the science and being really interested and in taking on all that. So yeah. so yeah, got the job, got the house on the farm, fell into a hobby that became everything that I did. So because of the area, there's mushrooms all around. I wanted to go out and like find all the wild mushrooms, a big dinner plate sized porcinis, the chanterelles, all of that, matsutake. Yeah. And you know, matsutake is like $250 a mushroom if you go and sell it. Yeah. So like there was value in understanding what's out there. But I think to me, it was more like a primitive level mm. understanding of like being in the dappled filtered light in the forest and the smells that you're walking through, all of that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I get a chill just thinking about it because you're it's out there. It's like, to do, it's like that plucks your primitive yeah. strings. Like, Actually, my favorite thing to do is walk through the forest to the beach. Yeah, and, yeah. and I mean, that's where we were. So do, do different mushrooms emit different smells? Yes, mm. yes, absolutely. There's so many volatile chemicals that you experience every day, all the time in your daily life. Yeah. But there are volatiles in these things and who knows what, you know, like there's all kinds of reasons for them to be there. Yeah. But volatiles are there and you can definitely, as you're stepping through mycelium or you're stepping through the plants, you don't really smell the plants other than the perfume from the flowers. Yeah. Right. But as you walk through a forest, you get that musky sort of earthy and we recognize it as, you know, because we're digging through and finding mushrooms. Yeah, so but you can smell, you can feel it. There's an energy there that like you're invigorated by through that sense of smell. 
Yeah. Definitely. Like there's the touch and the feel of the humidity and the light breeze and then the filtered sunlight. So there's all kinds of senses of play. And yes. that's a big it, one. It's everywhere. Like if you say you're in, uh, you know, Dandenongs. Yeah. Or even kind of, uh, you know, towards Massenden and stuff. Yeah. If you like stop and take a knee, pretty much anywhere in the forest, then like look closely enough, you are completely, totally surrounded by fungi. Really? It's just a matter of focus. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. You, you're going to be standing on it 100%. Yeah. Like you're going to, yeah. you kneel down, you're going to be kneeling next yeah. to fungi. It's just a matter of like focus, yeah. look closely enough on those leaves and you'll see 10 different varieties of, yeah. of, of fungi that have overtaken whatever decaying matter there is and started That's to grow. That's so interesting. But it's just in such delicate minutiae that you, unless you're looking for it, you just like it, People have put effort into measuring that and, and I think it was in a Stamets book where every time you take a Foot. step in the forest, yeah. Something like 300 kilometers of linear length yeah. of, of mushroom under, cells. Under each foot. 300 kilometers <clears throat> of, of end-to-end mushroom cells if you stack them up end-to-end. What? Yeah. So You don't realize it. Well, one thing I find interesting, just on that note, as you were sort of talking about the dead and all that, so if you find, what I, what I find, just I don't know, it sort of blows my mind, just the mechanics of it, is let's say you find a magic mushroom, as soon as you pull, it's a mushroom in the ground. Yep. As soon as you pull it out of the soil, yeah. it becomes, I think, was it class class A um, narcotic? I think they define it. Uh, uh, schedule one. Schedule one. Yeah, schedule. Yeah. 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 Schedule one narcotic. And I just, I find, I don't know, I find that transition just that, that pluck. Like you've gone. Nature's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly right. Nature's okay. Yeah. Nature's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So they've gone to as far as. I think in the States, it's any, any container that has psilocybin in it. Mm. So that way they could put it all the way down to a spore. So if, they, if like you're, you're detained yeah. and you vomit and there was a spore in there that contains psilocybin, that makes you That's a, a carrier special. of a Schedule mm-hmm. 1 narcotic. Yeah, like they've gone to that level. What, what's the, what, so... What what's the big deal about something being a hallucinogenic in mushroom form? What's the <laughs> big deal, man? <laughs> Which big deal? You mean what's the big deal as far as, as them trying to legislate it being yeah, a, and like, being illegal? Because from my understanding, um, it's it's non addictive and the actual non toxic. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a that's a big. Rabbit hole, I reckon, like yeah. the control aspect of yeah. allowing you to get smarter, allowing you to like yeah. be against the grain. Yeah, we can, we can, <clears throat> we can demonstrate exactly what happens to your brain when you consume this stuff. Well, not exactly, but there are there are aspects to our brain function that we can demonstrate change materially when yeah. you're under the influence. Well, what, what's and the you, material change? Like, what, what actually happened? You get hyperconnectivity effectively. Like yeah. Your yeah. neural pathways, hyperconnectivity between your hemispheres. Yeah. And so the way that manifests in your in your direct perception and experience of it is a trip. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, but that's lasting. Like, that doesn't... So, yeah. you know, you, you, you're not high the next day, but a whole bunch of that tapestry that's been woven remains. And, and that's... That's a bad thing, or that's a Depends good thing. perspective. <laughs> well, Maybe from it's a, a good thing. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's really easy to see in the current times yeah. how the government requires and requests you do a certain thing. And, and if you follow that regime, then 
you know, you get to the, the measured, uh, you get to the measured end, you know, like mm. currently we've done everything that we were required to do and, and we're, we're sitting pretty, you know, yeah. as far as in the world, looking at us and yeah, all that. Um, but what happens whenever you didn't like want to follow because you had your own sort of thinking, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's where it goes to. And yeah. the thing is we've done that and we're on the, the front end of that. Yeah. sort of thing and the rest of the world is now going through like the, that second wave yeah and they see what happened in Australia and they see what's happening in America and they're making their own decisions and if you had a whole bunch of people in there who were free thinking rather than you know like compliant yeah <laughs> yeah good, you don't like get the measured outcome good or bad is subjective but it put frame it kick it flip around the other way and frame it this way so do you believe that anyone be it Government, anyone with authority, anyone with the, with the like the legislative authority mm. to apply physical force or whatever. Mm. Do you think anyone should be able to tell you what goes on inside your own head or not? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely so not. The answer. So should yeah. something that that's all it does. It's like it, it changes, yeah. you know, it shifts mm. your brain chemistry and literally will change your thinking. Yeah. So whose business is that other than yours? Yeah. Yeah, it should be no one's, but apparently it is. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently the divine creator messed up so badly yeah. that we need Victoria Police and the government <laughs> to fix those heinous errors. <laughs> divine creator, you complete asshat. Where are the police? Come and call them to fix stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's absurd. It's absurd. So, yeah. in, in it, it, oh, that 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 can go totally dark because it it sucks to think that you know like I'm not sovereign. You know, like I, I don't get yeah, that's the implication. It's, yeah. it's not yeah. even the implication. It's it's well, yeah. It's not like at, at some point, you're yeah. not allowed it. You're not at allowed some to point, have full sovereignty. You've bought into wherever you live, or you've yeah. bought into whatever. Like you pay taxes, right? So the predominant culture says yeah. X. Yeah. yeah, and you yeah, and these are the boundaries of the culture. Yeah, so yeah. if you don't want to be in those boundaries, where do you go to live? Like that's the thing. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I mean, my my argument is that we allow other things that are so detrimental but they're regulated and big nice companies make yeah. them and that's when you yeah that's when you start get but that's when you get to the questions of motivation as that how what and when and you can you know you can do the you can look back to it anthropologically and see who when what why how is introduced yes schools of thinking which think tanks which companies sponsored legislation yeah. which senators who that you know yeah. what their conflicts were so you can draw back through the history and see yeah. that there's been huge conflicts and that the, the ostensible reason that's given yeah for the prohibition of most things is very rarely the the actual reason or the actual yeah. motivation. almost always it's you know commercial or cultural there's some commercial competing interest that doesn't want XYZ in the market or there's yeah. some cultural boundary that makes it more difficult to control the herd, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Well, Don't want the herd kicking over the fence, you know. No, that's absolutely. a problem. Hey, that's, that's it, right? <laughs> that's a problem. Well, I hope I'm not wrong about this, but with, with hemp, for instance, mm. hemp was legal at one stage. Mm. Yeah, the US Constitution was written on hemp for yeah. a good part of the early formation yeah. of the Federation. Yeah. Yeah. If you owned, I don't, I forget what the the figure was, but if you owned more than X acreage mm. uh, and you were in the business of like agricultural production, like twenty five percent 
of your land mass needed to be allocated to hemp production. It was like yeah. the, the, yeah, so much of the founding basis of the states. We have so many cities hemp. that are like named after it, yeah. like named yeah. along those lines, like really? mills and... Oh, yeah, whether yeah. it's rope or fiber yeah. or oil or feedstock or, like, yeah. you know, the gazillion different things that that plant can be used for. Yeah, like, yeah. That was... When you think about US agriculture, like, it's food and fiber. Yeah. Like, that's what, you know, agriculture is food and fiber. Those are the things you need yeah. to get out of it, you know? So fiber is a big deal, mm. you know? and It's all around us. Yeah. And when you've got something that's super functional as a food and a fiber... Okay. Yeah. Double that's some really interesting. It's like pretty formative and mostly still underground because both of the both the, yeah the, because the plant's been illegal in so many places. But the the relationship and the capability to grow fungi with and or on hemp and other um, yeah. Is, there's some interesting stuff to play around with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In ter- well, in terms of like food and fiber and medicine, it's like there's lots of fun to be had. Well, I mean, they, they start, I'm pretty sure they've started using um, some sort of mushroom derivative to treat PTSD. It's psilocybin. Yeah. 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 And, and also CBD oil, yeah. which is only recently been on sale to Australians. Mm. Is, is I know so many people that use it for, for aches and pains. We have, um, I've, I've done some studies on this and, and just for the record, all that, I don't, I don't smoke bot, like yeah. marijuana, whatever you, whatever the word is. Like yeah. I don't smoke it. It doesn't, I don't know. Like I, 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 if I have, and if I do, it's like, I want to go to sleep and forget everything. Like, yeah. So I just don't. Yeah. And who, you know, people have told me through the years, oh, you're just not doing the right thing. Or smoke or whatever. <laughs> you need to smoke more. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Smoke more, get used to it. But, yeah. but the thing is, I've done research into it, and we have genetically, through evolution or adaptation, we have so many receptors <laughs> for so many of the very specific things that, that are in that plant. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. <clears throat> Like we it's must compa- have come. It's been a companion. Yeah, plant it for must tens have been something that's been a companion to our Absolutely. adaptations and evolution because of its functionality: food, fiber, medicine, pain relief, like all those things. Yeah. Like, so we've got receptors for them. There's a reason why they function in us. It's not just a mistake. Oh, absolutely right. Like there's there's no mistake that a certain like plant works with a certain insect. They've evolved together well, specifically. The hemp seed, like the omega profile of hemp seeds. The only place in the plant kingdom where you can get all your essential fatty acids. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So, as a food, in, if you're not going to eat animals, that's, the that's a great place to start. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. right. There's yeah. hemp protein, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the, the fatty acid profile in there is, um, yeah, unique among the plant kingdom. So, it's, yeah, again, it's like... It, it shouldn't. I don't even think it's very controversial anymore. But you can I don't think so. I don't you think can roll back six or seven decades in the US so. and yeah. very specifically identify the window in which the, the propaganda came out and the hype and the, you know, the crazy Mexicans on board who are going to raise Yeah, and it's like yeah, they whipped up some hysteria and like yeah, but that was like that was a threat to. Cotton, sugar, oil, yeah. Farm, oh, yeah. Big yeah. Farmer, everyone, yeah. plastic, everyone. and they replaced it all with corn. You name corn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So going back to where we were. All right, main main storyline. Back yeah. to that. All right, so yeah, got, got the job in um, in uh, North Bay Area, San Francisco, with gourmet mushrooms. Um, yeah, so was gourmet mushrooms a thing at the time, or was this relative gourmet mushrooms Inc? Is the yeah, yeah. So the GMI oh, quite, gourmet uh, mushrooms Inc. Quite well known, like yeah. Yeah. pioneers. Yeah, yeah. In they were like world. pioneers. So I think they actually started it in the late seventies. Growing shiitake mushrooms, but the, by the time I got there in two thousand five, around then, um, they were working with a bottle system yeah. of growing mushrooms. So they've got it to this point of super manufactured ability to mechanize everything. Yeah, clockwork. And this was a Japanese bottle system. So every tray of bottles was like four by four, sixteen mm. bottles in every tray, and every every bottle had about a liter of substrate in it. And it had a cap that sits on top that it was a three-stage cap. So it had the bottom section, it had a filter, and then it had a top section. So it breathed from underneath. So you could yeah. then stack it up to the ceiling. So run it through machines, yeah. entrees, put it on pallets, stack it up to the ceiling, and put it in a warehouse that all has the right temperature. And just like the forest, when you walk through this warehouse, it's just like a buzz of mycelium and mm -hmm. energy. You feel it growing, like the you warmth. Can, and you can, like, yeah, you, you can yeah. smell the different yeah. stage there. It's and like they don't, they don't need light. So you basically you have this thing on very low light just for employees to walk through all day. This is where I ended up working. It, what a lovely place. It, it was so great. Um, but yeah, it's there and you can see like the stages of growth and that's what your job is to do and go yeah. check these bottles for like stages of growth and make sure yeah. that they're all good. I was in charge yeah. of the seed material. Yeah. So the seed is called spawn. So in mushrooms, we don't grow from spore. Mm. We grow from spawn. The difference is spore is like a seed from a plant. You know, mm. any, any plant, open it up, or a fruit, open it up, get a seed, yeah. plant that in the ground, and that's going to grow the daughter yeah. of whatever it was, right? So, yeah. But there are other types of, you like uh, grapevines, you know, they take cuttings, right? So mm. they, they, they have literally clones of each other. They put out all the same species, all the same varietal, yeah, right? And essentially all cuttings from the same organism. Yeah, the parent one. So that's what we do with mushrooms. And and spawn is literally you just take a very small piece of the tissue, mycelium will expand. Yeah. Mycelium is this the the cells of mushrooms growing end to end, like very filamentous and cottony type growth. Yeah. And you can observe that and look at it and say, Oh, that's healthy, and take a small piece of that and put it in a bottle, close that up. You know, in a in a sterile environment, that table right there. That's yep. called a, a HEPA filter table or aseptic environment. Which one? That that one right there with uh, the Chinese writing on top. Yeah. That says cordyceps. Yeah. Um, but that flow cabinet, it's a laminar flow of filtered air. So the air runs through a filter, filters down to 0.03 micron, filters out viruses, smoke particles, everything. Yeah. It's clean air coming out. Yeah. So you open up, you know, a sterilized bottle and put it in there and sterilize it with heat. So... All biology is done. There's nothing in there that's alive. And in that airflow, then you open it up. So the only sterile air coming in. And in that same time, you bring in your culture of spawn and put a little bit of mycelium in there, close it up. And then only that mycelium is growing in that jar. So in a bottle system, 
we unless it gets contaminated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start seeing other stuff going. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you get other molds and things <laughs> like that. So, so his you, job is to make sure that didn't happen. High, <laughs> high control. That's yeah. that's the main thing. So like it's very sterile and you know lots of stainless steel and things like that. Yeah. Um, but in a bottle system where I get now a jar of only that mycelium growing on stuff, I can take that jar and inoculate other jars. So a tray of 16 jars runs through a machine that's got one of these jars turned upside down and it just like inoculates every one of them. It inoculates. So instead of me, a worker, putting that mycelium in there, that machine has just got the, the bottle upside down, brings it in, takes off the cap, puts in a measured dose, inoculate, yeah, and then sends it out. And we could do... Thousands of trays in an hour. I love that. Yeah, so it's amazing. You just, and and it, that's not. You think of like mechanization and high levels of processing and processing aids and things like that. That's not what's happening here. It's just like essentially replicating what would be happening yeah. with a person putting it in there, just doing it on a large scale. Yeah. Then this entire, you know, the entire warehouse would be filled up, stacked to the ceiling with bottles that are growing mycelium. When they're all fully grown, take the lid off, scrape them, put a little water. Now it doesn't matter from you know being sterile because the mycelium is taken over the mycelium is going to protect its substrate protect yeah. what it's grown on so once that's happened take it off scrape it put a little water and then mimic the the fall conditions uh, and you know autumn autumn fall i can't remember what you call it here autumn autumn yeah um, but so essentially whenever it's in the jar and sitting in the warehouse at 23 degrees that's the summering period you know yeah. it's like not got the right atmosphere to fruit so it's just going to happily grow and eat consume yeah. Take it out and then make it think that it's autumn or fall and then it will fruit. So it's just like like I said, clockwork. Put yeah. it in a machine, it takes off the lid, scrapes and puts in a little water. Then you put it in a room that's got a high humidity and a lower temperature, you know, like fall breeze. Yeah. And it's just carpets of mushrooms. Just carpets. Literal carpets of mushrooms growing out of these bottles. And because they're bottles and trays, like the picker can walk through and just go straight into a punnet. Very clean, very like just super efficient. This is like Japanese style bottle system. Yeah, so. and the, so how, how do you get from that to, to changing the way a mushroom tastes mm. to make it mimic meat? Because I had <laughs> I had the fable uh, beef brisket. Yeah. And I went on tonight when I got it because I've never really had um, like faux pas meat yeah. before. I was like, oh, fuck, I wonder how this is going to taste. And yeah. I didn't want to break bad news to you guys, right? Just because they're like, hey, I tried this. It, was, it wasn't that good. Sucked. <laughs> but man, it fucking tasted good. And I wasn't, I wasn't shitting you guys when I, when I said like I really enjoyed mm. it. Mm. I did not, I did not expect it to taste good. <laughs> not just good. But I was like, a vegan for a year, and I literally hate, hated. Uh, not now because some of them that are coming out are pretty good. Yeah, but hated the things that were on offer like i had to cook all my own sort of yeah. meat replications or or just decide that i'm not going to have something that's like meat in a dish yeah there's a few things uh so definitely for one so like we have a really firm focus on taste and texture in the development of all of the yeah. products and all of the all of the dead work that jim's doing now and new products. Yeah. it's like they're the first two criteria to be met because Ultimately, it, you know, there's only so far Thank you. consumers and people eating are willing to bend on the taste and texture. Like yeah. the hardcore, um, you know, vegetarians and vegans, they will compromise um, because often they're, you know, they've got a 
another motivation for why they're not eating meat. Yeah. Whereas if the idea is to get lots of people who otherwise maybe have no problem with eating meat or maybe you don't want to eat less of it or whatever, you really need to nail the taste and texture because they're not going to compromise so much. They still want that replicated. So on the texture side of it, um, we started out and uh, Michael kind of from from a completely different starting point ended up um, looking at the same thing, which was texture made from the fibers of the mushroom. So to get yeah. that like elongated little stringiness that you get in slow cooked meat. Yeah. And it's like there's certain types of mushroom and certain parts of certain types of mushroom that lend itself particularly well to do that. Yeah. Um, generally like stems. So there's heaps of mushrooms that have stems and those stems are often really useful. Yeah. Um, uh, and then there's some where the entire mushroom has a kind of a fibrous structure yeah. um, or, or, or the cap component of it is so small it's immaterial. So for the most part, that mushroom has the right texture. Um, but then regardless of which kind of mushroom you choose or depending on which kind of mushroom you choose, they will withstand different degrees of processing and cooking. So if you think about it in terms of a like a pine tree grows really quick, like we call them yeah. soft woods. It's yeah. also easier if you want to like, you know, burn it, it'll burn a lot quicker. If yeah. you run it through a mill, it'll, you know, go to sawdust a lot quicker. Whereas yeah. if you go to hardwood, like a redwood or something, it'll burn slower, it's harder. Yeah. It's the same thing with mushrooms. Well, the ones that grow really quick, like oysters, like yeah. they'll also break down really quick. Yeah. They've got low shelf life. Yeah. That's yeah. why you see, you know, sometimes you might see at farmer's markets these beautiful varieties of oysters like the, the yellows and the pinks and some of the oranges and stuff. And, like, they're not that different from the oysters you see in the supermarket at all, like the grey and the, and the white oysters. Yeah. It's just that the, the nature of their structures that, A, they'll flush and they'll grow a little quicker, but then yeah. they'll also start breaking down quicker. Yeah. So if you put them in a punnet and they've got a four-day shelf life, well, that means they start coming to crap when it's like in the warehouse of the mm. it hasn't even yeah. got into the supply chain yeah. yet. So there's no way it's gonna get all the way to a supermarket into a consumer's fridge without yeah. going to complete mush and yeah. Yeah. So that's why you don't see a lot of those reds and yellows and blues. Yeah. And, yeah. So they're not in the supermarkets. You get them in little farmers markets. And the varieties that end up in the supermarkets are the ones that have been selected and or bred to have yeah. a shelf life. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Structure. That makes sense. But then you can kind of, you can wheel through the whole spectrum of different fungi and then the matrix of, you know, the the length of the time that it takes to grow and therefore the tenacity and the density and the strength yeah. of the fibres relative to like the flavour profiles of all the other yeah. chemicals in there and um, aminos and like the, like the umami flavours and stuff that you yeah. get. Uh, they're all kind of like this, depending on the different mushroom yeah. you're, you're, you're targeting or working with. So we use shiitake for the brisket yeah. um, product. Oh, okay. So yeah. Shiitakes grow really slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, relative how, to an oyster. How, like how slow is Three slow. times as long as an oyster for the yeah. primordial cycle. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, and Oysters would say, get fruit in about 21 days. Yeah. Shiitake would be about 45 days before we'd even start to fruit them. But before the actual start fruiting try. goes long, whereas yeah, yeah. the fruiting yeah. oyster goes like two weeks. Yeah, you know, yeah. Whereas the shiitake will more like that. Yeah. You know. So they work really well. Shiitake are also like super high in sulfur, which isn't necessarily particularly good for what we do. Well, it, it is and it isn't. Like <laughs> why, why, this, why, why sulfur? No good. Sulfur proteins. What does it taste like? Sulfur. Yeah, like, sulfur uh, is it like, like meat. Yeah, that makes sense. Any any of the chemicals that have sulfur are the ones that have something that you know get 
a feeling out of you. Like garlic is high. Di yeah. Disulfides are in there. Yeah. And you know, raw garlic is like Bleh! Yeah. But cooked garlic is like mm. you know? <laughs> that's the thing in yeah. TCM foods with sulfur are generally things yeah. that will give you heat, right? Oh. Ah. Heat into your constitution. Yeah. So there's a lot of sulfur compounds in shiitake. And that's why it's got like a range of smells and tastes from fresh to cooked to yeah. yeah as it goes through its even its decomposition phase and everything you know, get all those different smells coming up but and, and how much how much sort of i guess like experimentation did you guys have to do to, to like did you be like okay we're gonna try to grow this for x amount of time oh, well, we just uh, it was even it was even more arbitrary we yeah. started out or well Prior to you know when Jim was playing around, he was playing around with the mushrooms that were available to him. When he exactly, was playing around with what I had. And yeah. then when we had when Jim was working at Mycelia and my farming business, we had a garages who grew. Yeah, what you grow yeah, yeah. for the supermarket? So yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like, so Jim, I'm, I'm working on solving the complex of, of issues. Yeah. yeah, and that's a that's not a, that wasn't by any means at all a unique issue to our yeah. farm. So we were uh, producing. 10 to 13 tons a week like it sounds like a lot yeah it is a lot but it's not relative to some of the bigger farms in australia doing 50 100 250 okay. farms yeah. in china doing a yeah. thousand tons a week yeah. so yeah. these are huge farms and you get about anywhere between depending on the farm and this the specification that the fresh market is demanding and by that i mean how long is the stem that they're willing to withstand the longer the stem the more likely the stems bump the caps of the other mushrooms yeah. and make little marks and bruising. So yeah, which doesn't look, yeah. which doesn't look doesn't nice, look which which means people are less likely to buy, which means more wastage, yeah. which means weight. So uh, don't give us stems. So the supermarkets say cut and close yeah. so that those stems don't yeah. make marks on the yeah. other mushrooms. Yeah. That's the specification, please. We want no more than three millimeters under the cap, which means really? you're cutting off anywhere between eight, 15, sometimes even 20% of the biomass. You're just what? cutting off and get... So that's that's a problem for us to the order of a, a ton and a half a week, which is still yeah. like on ten tons. Even you know, my mother-in-law used to come to the farm and she'd get a garbage bag of this stuff. Yeah, she just couldn't she couldn't bear the thought of like, oh, these beautiful mushrooms. We're just feeding them to the sheep or throwing them out. Yeah, Multi as I said, quite tiny. You know, yeah. we, we were one percent of Australia. Yeah, <laughs> like, and then you multiply that by Australia, and yeah. North America, and yeah. then. Is Europe, is China, Europe, and then yeah. China with all yeah. the, like there isn't a mushroom farm on the planet that's not generating yeah. wasted biomass because of yeah. the specification required. So it's like if you can solve that problem, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of yeah. stock available. There'd be about a hundred yeah. tons, maybe hundred and fifty tons in Australia, Australia a, week. a week. That just gets of yeah, yeah. And and to give people a background, Chris, you had a farming company. Yeah, farming company. company, and yeah. you you are a decorated man in <laughs> entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, we were going to get there eventually on the yeah. straight line that we were. <laughs> just to give a bit of context, not like, not like Chris is a random guy that just started working with Jim. <laughs> he hired me. Yeah, he pulled me out. Yeah. How, so had you had you guys met? Like, what was what's the story? Yeah, yeah. So fast forward up to when I was here in Australia, already had my degree, and ten years later, basically. 10 years yeah here in Australia yeah. 10 years later so 2018 or 2018 yeah yeah I think uh, yeah 2000 maybe 17 yeah we would have met in 17 and then got yeah. together in 2018 yeah. so I you know had been on mushroom tracks 
since since California all the way through here, been on the mushroom track, finished my degree in agricultural science and started my own business here selling mushrooms. Then um, uh, selling into the super uh, the, the wholesale fruit and veg market yeah. here in Melbourne, the big one. Um, and then decided when I finished my degree, I'm going to jump into a bigger business, start growing mushrooms in a bigger way. But because I had all the mentality from overseas and no experience in the market here, yeah. failed in that business pretty quickly. What was it? What was the mentality? I grew. I well, my mentality Just, was when you yeah. sell a product, you get paid. <laughs> that's yeah. a, that's like what happens in the states. Yeah, a big deal. You know, like you sell a product, you get paid. Here, thirty day contracts, sixty day contracts, oh, ninety yeah, day contracts. We're credit crazy here. Yeah. You guys, you fucked me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like okay. thinking, okay, I've got a pipeline. I'm gonna start growing mushrooms, and I'm working on a farm where I can grow ten tons a week. I'm gonna start with half a ton. Get up to four tons within three or four weeks and then like just go for broke whenever we get there because that all is going to get paid to me yeah. during that period of time. My partner was a marketer, you know, he was a fruit and veg wholesale guy, but yeah. he forgot to mention to me like that part of it. So like whenever we were in our strategy talks about what I can do. Yeah. Like I, I didn't think yeah. about like so I grow mushrooms, you sell yeah, the mushrooms, then the money comes in and we use that to yeah, grow more exactly. mushrooms. Exactly. He <laughs> probably thought like this is the perfect world and what I'm what I'm saying is going to happen. Like I, yeah. I'm also talking about a biological system yeah. where there's gonna be ups and downs, I'm gonna need a little bit here. They're like, this is what I'm thinking. So as he's telling me, yeah, yeah, no, I can sell two tons here, I can sell four tons here, we can sell so I'm like, we can sell way more than we can grow. That's great. I'm gonna grow everything I can grow. I'm going to get the pipeline started. Yeah. And I did. We got the pipeline started. We got everything going. Environments are fantastic. The mushrooms are growing like crazy. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> lots of money going to get, lots of money just coming. In 60 days. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that we were in 60 days. That's the thing. So like, okay, we watched a pallet go out the door. Yeah. And I'm like, so Joe, <laughs> how much are we getting paid for that pallet? And when do we see it? Because I need to start working on, you know, my whole plan. Yeah. He was like, well, that, that one, you know, it's like split up between this guy who's on a 60 day, this guy's on a 30 day, and then three quarters of it went to crown. That's on a 90 day. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. wait. I got to wait three months before we, because I'm in the pipeline to like double what I'm doing. It, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think I see a little bit of a problem. We need some machinery updates and this, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, we were in business for about three months <laughs> and we ended up taking in about a quarter of what we expected to be profit. Yeah. For all the reasons. You know, like I, you know, it was, it was also, it was a, it was a massively immature market. For yeah. We I didn't to. understand and, and, and neither did he. The market so, did not. Yeah. He was an apple and pear guy. So I was a mushroom guy. mushroom guy. Yeah. And I had been told that, you know, if you grow this particular mushroom, you're going to, you're going to do well. So yeah. I said, let's focus on the one mushroom instead of a range of mushrooms. But when the people saying that, thinking like, if you grow this one, you do well, that's because it's like previously had been grown in tiny volumes mm. and therefore like premium prices. And so yeah. people can go, wow, yeah. you can get, you know, yeah. X kilos of this at this yeah. price. Fantastic. Yeah. And, it's yeah. like, and that's when I realized Australia has only 20, 25 million people, you know, because... <laughs> It really is, yeah. I was in America and, you know, we were only serving our local environment and we were growing 10 tons a week. Yeah, that was no big deal. Yeah. So my mentality was much bigger than what, what, what was actually here. Yeah. So, you know, for, for, for that and for... 
all kinds of things. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a money funnel, and I was on the wrong end of the fucking funnel. <laughs> but but Jim, did that did that play in your mind at all in terms of oh, maybe doing a business is not? Yeah, absolutely. I was like, I'm never fucking with mushrooms again. I literally, I would, I had been with mushrooms by like since I met with her and yeah, yeah doing so all that about thing. Ten years now, yeah. And then it was like, uh, you know, just took all the wind out of the sail. I hate mushrooms. I'm never doing mushrooms again. I'm getting rid of all my mushroom equipment. You're sitting in a room that has about a quarter of my original mushroom stuff. Yeah. This room used to be my my lab. Yeah. So where you're sitting when was I like the perimeter. It looked like something out of Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, blue tent. I had a blue tent set up in here. And that was my lab. So like I was in mushrooms. And this just jaded me. I was like, I'm never doing it again. I'm never going to be an entrepreneur because, you know, this is just like shooting off all of my feet, legs, knees, everything. Just yeah. shot it all off. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I need help. Somebody yeah. has to pull me through this life now. Yeah. <laughs> So I took a job. Well, no, no, no. That, that, so like I took a job. It cost. I'm wearing the shirt today. Oh, yeah, I no, didn't I mean to. Yeah, I know Costa. Yeah. But so. As in the company, not so. The boy, like, here's yeah. a cool little story. Just little yeah. one. I'm going to keep it small because this no, is a cool one. Let's go on the tangent. I, I like this tangent. So let's just fucking go there. <laughs> so I'm at my most desperate hour. Yeah. I, am, I, I hate my life. I hate everything. And, and funky is not what I want to do. Yeah. But that's the only skill set I have other than being a chef. <laughs> so I want to go back to chef. I hate yeah. chef. Yeah, well, like, yeah. I love food, but I hate that like militant chef life. Yeah. So and and it just doesn't fit me. So I have the skill set. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, here I'm standing in this right where about where I am right now, and I'm like on seek.com. Yeah. yeah. And there was a job on a mushroom farm. Asking for a spawn supervisor. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I got that skill there, set. <laughs> there's probably none of these in the country except for like me and like three other people maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay, boom, boom, boom. And I had a, a resume because I had just gotten to the world. So I was yeah. like, boom, send the resume off. I'm still, standing, I'm still standing in this spot right here. You're lying, right? And, no, and a call comes right. through in a few minutes. I'm like... Hey, what's going on? We're like, yeah, yeah, no, this isn't real, right? This is not a real application. You've copied this out of somewhere. You're lying. <laughs> no, I'm not lying. That's my skill set. And they're like, you're hired. Cha-ching! <laughs> no, it wasn't cost. It was a, a, a promote, a, a promo, what do you call it? A, um, oh, the, um, employer hire company? Oh, an agency. An oh, agency, agency, yeah. Um, that was an agency who did that ad, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Costa, and I'm going to make big money. So she made <laughs> yeah. like three and a half grand out of finding me. Yeah. The Costa. So I didn't realize that until later. I didn't know how all that worked. I was just like, yep, here's my resume. Boom, send it off. I went to the interview with her, with this agency, and I was chewing gum in the interview. <laughs> didn't realize that that was a full paw, but whenever whenever I finished and told her all my story. I'm from Texas. She's like, yeah. She's like, you know what? When you're in an interview, and I love mushrooms. Don't chew gum. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, wait till I have a few more of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, got the job, yeah. and I was like, great, because I can exercise everything that I understand, and I'm yeah. working for somebody, and I'm making a good, good paycheck. It was the yeah. best paycheck I ever made, and they, yeah. when it, they offered, I think it was like 60, 70 k. <laughs> They can't see that. There's, there's a photo of Jim holding a phallus. A phallus. A phallus industriatus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a phallus it's mushroom. And it's got a couple of eggs underneath it. Yeah. Highbrow. <laughs> Very. Uh, where was I? 
uh, yeah, so you're getting it. Got this job. job yeah. <laughs> got to work doing the skill set that yeah. I loved and not having to like own that and working into the market, all that. Was, but uh, with pretty high stakes nonetheless, because there's how many tons of spawn are you producing a week? Ten, 20 tons we got up to, but we're around 18 of tons of spawn. That's the the stuff we're putting in. Which then multiplies out X fold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So each like kilo <laughs> turned into like 350 kilos. Yeah. That's the way it works out. Each Ooh. kilo of spawn what? turned into about 350 kilos of mushroom. You take a little bit of spawn and you put it in the compost. And, and it expands. colonizes Actually, the compost and then turns into That makes so, sense. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember in my small garden, just seeing the mushrooms, like I'd pick them out and they would just spread it. Yep. Yeah. So I got to do that sort of... I, I don't know. Like, yeah, five years? I did that for three years. Three years. So, but that was like worry-free and it was helping me pay off the debts that I sunk into this place. So into that business, I like put 50 grand worth of debt into this house. Yeah. And I was like, I got to pay all this shit off. I need, I need help. I need someone to pull me through. And I just ended up getting a job where I could exercise my skill set and make a lot yeah. of money doing it. Not a lot of money. It was like 70 grand or something, but still a lot of money for me yeah. because before that I was making nothing. So yeah. <laughs> Before that, I was giving money. money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So long you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did that for three years and there was a ceiling there, couldn't get through it. And so I went to work for the guy in the market yeah. who I was originally selling mushrooms to. Yeah. And I ended up being his manager selling mushrooms. Um, you know, it's a whole other story, but the Melbourne Fruit and Veg Wholesale Market, that's where, you know, like the whole, what was that series that was on TV, like the Underbelly or something like that? Melbourne. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the, it was called Underbelly. Yeah, I think it was, it was Underbelly, Underbelly, yeah. yeah. But, you know, like sort of Back stemmed from the families yeah. in the market. Yeah. Whenever I very first came over to Australia in 2002, we got married here, by the way, you know, yeah. flew over here, got married. We went and got our flowers from the market, and yeah. the, the the person who took us into the that flower market, they're like, never ever go into that fruit and veggie market. That's where like all the crime happens, and it's like <laughs> yeah. the worst place to be. And they're like, just don't ever go there. And then whenever I got back, Three years later, I'm yeah. gonna get a job. <laughs> I, no, 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 I manage a business in there, like the the super corner. Like, anyway, uh, that I was working well. in the markets at the same time. I did by coincidence. I did what, what five years in there. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I never saw it. Like, I, I was only working at that one mushroom stand. Didn't get through the market. Didn't like fall into the families. Didn't like, yeah, you know, get the whole thing going on. Yeah. I just worked at the mushroom place in the in the market and didn't understand or realize or know what was going on with all the rest of it. Um, but I don't think all that other stuff was going on. And if it was, it was really quiet and really well organized. So props <laughs> yeah. to those fuckers. <laughs> organized. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so did that for five years and. That was overnight. You go to work at 11 p.m., done at 7 a.m., and I reckon I aged 15 years during that five years. I was going to say, that would fuck with you. It, yeah, no. Like, yeah. I, I'm a brain guy. Like, the things I do function on my head, and yeah. like, that fucked me. Completely yeah. fucked me. So I told the guy that I was working with there, lovely job. I love the job. I love the people. Like, it was a great thing. If it were in the daytime, I'd probably still be doing it. Because, Owner's a gentleman, too. Yeah, owner was great. He was like... Yeah. I always got along really well with, with people who are smart and, and just in in the space that I'm in. And yeah. that's where he, he loves mushrooms. Yeah. He wants to do something well in the world. And I hope he does. And I was I was going to help him do that. We were going to do a mushroom farm. That's the reason I went to work for him. He got me back in. Like He yeah. pulled me out of that three-year funk where I was like, no, nah, I'm never going to do was, mushrooms again. Three years. That, that three farm. years, yeah. That's a, that's but he's like, let's start a mushroom farm. Come work for me. Do this job overnight, and we'll do it six months a year, and, and yeah. we'll, we'll start a mushroom farm. Five years down the track, 
still didn't happen. We tried, we tried, we tried, we tried. I was working here during the day, working there during the night, trying. Just didn't happen. So down the track, I was like, look, I'm gonna go find something in the world that needs my skill set. Turned it on on LinkedIn. I'm looking. He was on LinkedIn. Did that. Well, I'd already, I'd already, yeah, I'd already like earmarked you. And you must have, because as soon as I changed my status, he was like, opportunity, let's meet up. Yeah. And it wasn't long after that that we met up. So I was probably like March, April that I put my thing out there. By May, June, we had already met and talked and thought about it. Took, right. took, took, took about six months to convince him. Yeah. So <laughs> what, why, 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 why were you hesitant? Because the guy he worked for was I loved was genuinely a gentleman. I love the guy that I worked for here. Yeah, yeah. And didn't want to leave him in the lurch. But also, it was like you, you know, stable job, stable pay. And All of that's kind of yeah. what I was saying was kind of like risky. Come and do this. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of risky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's gonna. It'll be like, a fucking roller coaster, but it'll be worth it. I said it'll be a roller coaster. It's gonna be hard. There's a whole bunch of challenges, like immediately in front of. Us yeah. and me and in the business. Yeah. But I think these opportunities worth it and yeah, please come. Yeah. But that and was a six month process. And had you already like, like what I had, your, I had what the, I'd had the mushroom farming business for about three years by then, for four four years almost. Yeah. And I yeah, mine was a very yeah, different pathway. But <clears throat> by that stage I, um You didn't have any didn't have any friends coming out of coming out of jail? <laughs> <laughs> No Wait, spike. I did. They didn't know how to grow mushrooms. <laughs> um, it was more... Uh, so I kind of... Um, when I had the first farm, so I bought a small farm up near Bendigo Yeah. Um, and moved out there. And from day dot, from, from buying that farm, it, yeah. it, it was a very run-down. I'm going to piss. Yeah, no, no, go for it. Uh, it was it was a very rundown old crappy farm, and the guy that how did you get into to farming? Um, yeah, right, we'll jump back five years earlier than that. So I had a um, I was doing business course effectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was doing a course called entrepreneurship. I'd started my own business. I was you. What was your first own business? Um, it was called Melbourne City Bikes. I imported a fleet of like pedal electric egg-shaped type vehicles from yeah. Germany and sold advertising. And how the fuck did you come across that? Um, I thought I was getting into. I wanted to do something like sustainable transporty type thing. Yeah, and like maybe to. I did. I didn't know really. It was a bit opportunistic. Yeah, and I happened to meet people from the company and see the things and had in my last year of uni part of the prerequisite for passing was to start a business you had to do something yeah um and a lot of people were starting kind of not 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 real businesses but pretty like innocuous side gigs and i was like well if i'm going to do something you should probably do something properly. yeah um but i thought yeah i thought i was getting into transport and tourism and i spent most of my time with my lips attached to the rear ends of advertising media marketing agency people trying to sell advertising space and I was like ah, I don't like this at all yeah. so that lasted about two years um, but during that period I got really interested in um, food yeah. dirt soil fungi money like in terms of money when I say money I mean like monetary system system resource allocation systems yeah. like that's for whatever reason I got really interested in how humans organise and allocate resources yeah um, 
So whether that's calories, food, oil, and, and we usually denominate that through some form of money. So I got interested yeah. In, yeah, in how our units of monetary account yeah. and stuff work. So it was either like, like banking, money, monetary finance stuff. Yeah. But I've taken this huge interest in um, dirt and soil. So I kind of read some of Rudolf Steiner's materials. Rudolf Steiner? Uh, he's an agriculturalist and yeah. a scientist, kind of a pseudoscientist, bit of a tripper. Um, but he those are the best scientists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. very have interesting. You said, have you heard of Steiner schools? Like, I don't um, know. So Steiner schools, I know there's probably twenty of or something in Melbourne, but it's a it's a it's an education system that's derived from his kind of school of thinking. Well, what's and, what's his school of thinking like? What, what what's different about it? Um, he is. Uh, did, where to start um so I was, what i was just about to say is like he was like primarily a scientist and a philosopher um, yeah and uh was very well known and respected in his community yeah and when his, he lived in an agricultural community and when his community started having issues with chemical use and chemical resistance it was like you know before way before the green revolution like towards mm. the start of the century but people had first started using chemical fertilizers and yeah. you know, dumping stuff into the soil to see what happened yeah. um, so you get you know some short term really good results and then yeah. the whole the whole ecosystem collapses you know so you should have really bad results so the 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 fable goes yeah. <laughs> that one of the local farmers sent his kid to sit, sit on Rudolf Steiner's doorstep and say we got all of these problems can you please turn your scientific beautiful brain to our farming problems yeah and steiner was like ah i'm not a farmer i'm an i'm a scientist and i'm yeah. into philosophy and, and uh, yeah the, this, the the fable goes that this guy made his kids sit, sit on rudolph's doorstep for about a week yeah and all, all day every day until he went all right all right all right i'll help i'll do something and then yeah. a week later gave his inaugural uh agricultural lectures uh, which is still you know published today and are the basis of most of the biodynamic farming principles yeah and he set out a set of rules effectively for people to better manage their farm and land and yeah. at the same time i was getting interested in like permaculture and um yeah sustainable farming and then you end up soil and dirt and yeah. fungi and mushrooms so i had a like really keen interest in it uh, and then i started spending time i started spending a lot of time going into the forest picking mushrooms, eating mushrooms, and yada, yada, yada. Were, were, you, were you ever scared that you'd pick up a mushroom that was poisonous? Yes were we like, no. I always thought it was way overhyped. And that yeah. it's like like all things, they overhype it for like out of prudence, I guess. Because if yeah. you tell everyone, yeah, you'll probably be fine. And everyone goes, yeah, okay, well, I'll probably yeah, be yeah. fine. And then people start eating stuff and killing over. Well, like, that's, that's what happened in Holland. That, that's why in Holland, magic mushrooms... We're banned. Meh. Sort of. <laughs> because, nah, but there's thousands of years of foraging culture yeah. that have learned to delineate and identify what's good, what's bad. And that's yeah. the same as any other plant. Yeah. And generally, the culture in which that was held or housed was able to pass that on, that knowledge on to their kids and their kids. Yeah. Kids. So that, that's, I don't, I don't buy that that was the danger. I, that was probably a pretext they used. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. People get poisoned. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, I had a, I, I did. I had a few formative experiences eating like high doses of forest shrooms, and yeah. I was like, this this stuff's interesting, like really interesting. Yeah. How um, high dose did you do? Uh, <laughs> what's your highest? I, I can't can talk about this now. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it. You can, uh, you can, well, you can talk. I'm, man, I'm <laughs> open. If you guys are comfortable, talk about it. Yeah. Well, 
at, that, at that time, like one of the earliest doses I had would have was over six grams, like somewhere it, between how, six and seven. Is that is that a, a lot? lot. Like, that is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's not linear. Um, yeah, like the not experience linear. is not linear. When well, I say it's not linear, what, what it's mean? like well, if you have one gram, if you have two grams, you're not like twice as high as having one gram. It's yeah. like the curve gets steeper. Really? So by the time you're like, you're I like, reckon it it does the Jeremy Baramy. <laughs> have you watched? No, I, I, there's there's a particular show somewhere on Netflix, and I I don't need to like delve into that, but they talk about like a curve that you can't really see. Yeah like where it ends up so it's not like necessarily exponential and it's not flat but it, it actually makes a word jeremy baramy yeah. yeah and then there's this little dot above the eye where, where this character's like all right no that that fucked me yeah. i don't i don't get the dot over it yeah no fuck it no yeah. that got me anyway yeah, yeah. That's what I reckon the curve is like. It's yeah. like this. <laughs> Generally, for a lot of people, like like lift off off is like somewhere between like four and five, and then yeah. after that, it's like starts getting to a pretty different ball of wax. Yeah. But that was quite formative for me, and and I like literally had my hands in the dirt for some time, mm. like literally, mm. like in, and I was like, wow, this is like you know this there is there is something meaningful and significant and intelligent. Um, that can be learned from and and interacted with with these organisms like these yeah. are really smart organisms and at the same time it's like we know we now know we now know it's probably known for a hell of a long time but it's like there's no like central nervous system in a fungal network like there's a whole series of interconnected nodes yeah. and you can like you could reach in and hack out a big node, like rip a big chunk out of it, you know, and it will still continue to function. It'll like it'll just basically work a path around, like, yeah, and probably recreate and refill in that that chunk that you hack out. Yeah, like, I think a central nervous system is required only if the organism has motion. So mm -hmm. like you're growing and that's motion. Like, it's not like a fragile environment, yeah. like not doing anything, just Ooh, growing. Yeah. Whereas if you you know, if you mix the human brain, like yeah. the rest of the thing, boom. Yeah. <laughs> Catch you later. Well, I, I know I know that there was a study done where they used a mushroom. I'm not sure what the mushroom was. I'm pretty sure it was Paul Stamets talks about this. The train one? The train. Yeah. That's yeah. a yeah, slide mold. Yeah. 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 That, was, that was a... Uh, what was it? Do you remember? What was what? What's the, the name of the slime mold? Yeah. Oh, it'll come to me in a minute. Okay. Yeah. But it was it was learning about all that kind of stuff that yeah. made you know I was enchanted with with mushrooms and fungi. I was like, oh my god, these things are smart. Yeah. And and they fix our soil, and they fix our guts, and they fix our brains, and they fix our forests, and they make our food grow four times as fast. Yeah. And they and they, and and I was like, yeah. wow, yeah. This is, these are cool. Yeah. Why yeah. did we, why did no one tell me about this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I had this like I had this background like vibrating, um, uh, mild obsession with fungi, but and I wanted to get into, and by that time I'd done a permaculture course, a biodynamics course, a, like yeah. self-taught agriculture stuff online. I went and hassled like every second organic farmer I, that would let me go spend some time on their farm. Yeah, I was working in the markets at this time, so. When I finished that business, um, I did consulting for a couple of other startups and worked yeah. with a few other businesses. Had a uh, was a silent partner in a in a, food, in a cafe in another food business. Yeah, but I really wanted to like I was like at this point where I was like viscerally wanted like 
fruit, vegetables, soil, dirt, you know. Yeah. And I was like, I got no money. Yeah. And I'm some city slicker punk kid with no money. <laughs> I'm going to go farm. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, so even then I knew it was like, well, if I do farming, it'll be like so you, you know, farming you know business. Boy. No, no, no. no. These oh. are Melbourne city, like yeah. city yeah. bound, city born. Oh, there comes yeah. my wife with some fabled pizza. All right. Oh, yeah. Actually, I might do the toilet as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Tash, Tash says hi. Oh, I know she sent me videos of gnocchi. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gnocchi. <laughs> Her mum makes gnocchi like every month. So well, this is a steel which, table. Which way am I? I'll show you. Cool. I'll be back in a minute. All right. No worries. So let me interview you for a moment while he's gone <laughs> and he can, he can, can edit, edit this in the in front. Chris, where are you from? <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm fucking, I'm fucking. Uh, so which pizza is this? Uh, this is going to be the, um, maybe the pumpkin and... Yeah, it looks pumpkin-y. And uh, ah. capsicum or like red pepper. I'd say so. Oh, shit. It's a little weak on the base. Mm. Exactly. Is this what you experienced? Yeah, that's why. I reckon most people are going to have this problem. So we got to... We got to work to make sure that... That's why I asked... Uh, are you in the email thread? Mm-mm. When I was like... It's cooking instructions and he said yeah on the better to cook it on the oven grill or when the oven grill like i just mean the the, the top part well the uh what is the word it's the grill plates the shelves that are not yeah solid. the grill is like at the top yeah i don't mean the grill up i mean on the actual oven shelves on the rack the rack that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> the rack. Whenever you said grill, I thought you meant like that, the top. Mm-hmm. And so she left this in there to get like super hot and then put the thing on. Mm. And even then, still didn't. It was when fucking it, delicious. Yeah, when they did it, it came off. They, they've got one of those little stone mm. baked thingies in their kitchen. It came off like crunchy, crispy, like perfect. I'm still getting some crisp. Mm. And Even though it's floppy. Mm. Um, Not bad. That's fucking very tasty. For a vegan supermarket pizza. <laughs> like nothing nothing in the in the range in the supermarkets at the moment. Like comes close. No. And the fable is mm-hmm. the re- the residual retainer. Like that's what I got. Mm. And it's the meaty fable. No, that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I like that one. Well, my favorite one. I didn't bring because I already ate, <laughs> which was the red onion. Mm-hmm. Red onion bit of barbecue. Better. Barbecue works really well. Mm. But vinegar and sugar. Mm. Mm. With some spice. Sweety goodness. Mm. Yeah, it's a good one. The dough, I like the the crust. It's nice, simple, and it's there. Um... Sorry, I don't know that one. You said, and that's Sarah. It sounded like Alexa. Ah. This is Alexa. Alexa, shh. Here, be quiet. Hmm. Alexa, look up Fable. I didn't get that. Oh, I didn't speak fast enough. 
Mm-hmm. Look up. Alexa, what is fable? As a noun, fable is this. usually defined as a short tale to teach a moral lesson, often with animals or inanimate objects as characters. That sounds like Michael. As a verb, fable is usually <laughs> defined as I, to tell all fables. That's very fables. Remember when you used to do For the more, spiel, you'd say, there's something that we need to define the fable as. Please, please, take, take. So this is fable pizza? Oops. That's a fable pizza. Mm -hmm. it, we've, we've decided that it's a little bit too... Uh, this is in development, by the way. Mm. Um, it's a little bit too uh, soft at the base, but even though it's soft at the base, nice. the taste is right. Yeah. And it's soft in the somehow base. Somehow you get a crisp. It's a, it's a cooking it. instruction one, I think. Yeah, it's, co it's, it's a cooking instruction thing. But the, the flavors are really good, and the mm. fable is pronounced and remains as like sort of um, mm. like that really lingering nice. residual thing. That's really nice. It yeah. is, right? Like, that's a vegan pizza. Fully vegan, plant-based. Well, what's the cheese? What is uh, the cheese? The cheese. <laughs> that's a that's a tough one. The cheese is a is a mozzarella from uh, dairy free down under. Dairy free based, down under, based up in the Gold Coast. Well done. It actually melted. Mm. And that is and that is why um, Della Rossa chose. They they tried a gazillion different pizzas, and I spent <laughs> too too long in the last three yeah. weeks. On the phone to cheese companies and trying yeah. to track down cheese companies and speaking to uh, development it's people. Good, right? cheese companies. It's good, right? Good pizza. This is a good pizza. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and anyway, that's where we landed. So good, good that you like it. Um, yeah, I, I'm no, pretty specific is... on like what I do and don't like on pizza. This is good. I don't like the base. I mean, I like the taste of the base, but the fact that it went uh, limp like that, I don't like that. The taste and everything else, yeah, can't fault that. And that was Pietro was saying that's the, the tray, like it's got to go on the rack. This yeah. is on just for people, like that's meant to be for pizza, right? So we heated that to the two hundred degrees in the, in the oven, and then put the base, and then put the pizza on it. So the fact that it does that, that's you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing if the pizza were this big. Yeah, but. If it's this, if this big, like that, that should be rigid. And the, the taste is good though. The taste, uh, yeah, the that taste is really like when we had it at uh, when I had it. Well, at the vegan development. I know. Kitchen. I'd be having that all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the development. I wish kitchen. that existed. <laughs> I got. I had one of those little stone-based, like you know, kitchen. Where, where is this? In uh, the manufacturing company we're working with to make these pizzas. Um, in the. Have more. We're going to have it's at more. least two more of these coming out. I just told her to bring them out whenever they're yeah. ready. Um, awesome. And when, when so it came out off that stone base, it was like proper crunchy and stuff. And I did the same thing. I put it into the oven on a cold tray and then afterwards was messaging them like, uh, what are the cooking instructions? We got we to gotta <laughs> so, work that out. We got to make sure we can get that. I reckon, you know, focused effort on any one of these things and we can get it right. Yeah, yeah. Like I accidentally Diesel, came up Diesel. with a cheese the other day. Yeah. That I reckon would be superb. I, I totally want to. That's got to go in Astrid. I don't know how we fit that in, how we make that fit out. Yeah, we, we're not we're not developing cheese. Right? Yeah, right? He but made a really accidental. good cheese. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, hey. I think before I forget to ask, someone, I do want to go back to your story. Hey, yeah. Okay. I think we after after you do that, we need to touch on how to actually cook mushrooms the right way. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. 
Um, uh, Where was I? So I was like really getting into, I was already massively into shrooms, dirt, soil, fungi, the rest of it. Systems of resource allocation. That's what interested me. And I was like, I was like, humans are doing a really shit job. (laughs) Like all of our systems for resource allocation, whether it was like money, debt, how our super funds function, how our like courts function, everything. It's like we are allocating resources like complete ass hats. If we keep doing this, we're going to collapse the biosphere on which we depend. This is dumb. So I was also thinking like in terms of a commercial perspective, long-term, Food's a good space to be in anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's competitive and it can yeah. be commodified. But everyone's got to eat A and B. I had this like aha afternoon, like in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s. I don't remember. I spent, uh, when I was getting into this soil stuff and the soil, dirt, fungi, life cycle, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I, I had this uh, premise that was like, well, clearly the food must be crap. Like, obviously our food, like, there's less flavor in it. There's less mm. all the things that give flavor, the nutrient profiles and compounds and blah, blah, blah. There's less of them in the food because there's less of them in the soil. So obviously there's going to be less of them in the food. Yeah. And I jumped onto the USDA website. The USDA website had a data set from like end of the Second World War all the way up until whenever it was I was looking at this you know, 15 years ago. And it showed the nutrient density of like carrots, broccoli, cauliflower, like potato, 10 of the most common yeah. things grown in the US. And it was basically like, just a long, slow, gradual decline, except actually not so gradual because it was accelerating. And it was like... Is, is that because the, the food itself... We're turning, the food itself was less nutrient-dense because we're turning the soil to dust. Like, like, what, what, like a complex, highly rich, nutrient-dense soil profile yeah. contains crap tons of mycelial mass. Like Jim was yeah. saying before, you should be able to step on a foot of rich soil and there's hundreds of kilometers of end-to-end cells of mycelium in it. You go to a lot of farms, it's, it's not the case. You can pick it up in the dust that's like sand falling through your fingers. Like, Nothing in it. So we No we, organic power. And in Australia, that's even like even more dangerous because we're already in a pretty arid climate out here. Yeah, we are. Pretty yeah. arid soil and we don't have heaps of topsoil and it takes how long to produce topsoil in Australia naturally? Like A millimetre a year. A millimetre a year, at least in some parts of the Northern hem- Hemisphere and subtropical environments, tropical environments. And, and how, much, how much do you need? <clears throat> well... You know, you want you want to come through the goods. You want as much as you can get. Like yeah. topsoil is where all that's where all life, literally all life comes from. That layer of soil. So every animal, every plant, everything's coming out of this. And ours has gone from this to this to this to this. Thank you, Rita. Thank you, Rita. So I was like, well, we're gonna run out. Of, we're gonna run out of. And at the same time, I was looking at all this resource allocation stuff. I'm like, well, we're gonna run out of water, and we're gonna run out of soil if we keep treating the soil the way we're treating it. But I'd also kind of in parallel schooled myself on a bunch of stuff that had my thinking that, but actually we can also regenerate and recreate all of this stuff. We've got all the technology and the knowledge and the know-how to do that as well. We can turn deserts into rainforests, really, if we want. Like, but yeah, how come we're not doing it? Well, how come we're not doing it? That's a whole other. For, for me, <laughs> Thank it's, you. it's politics. Let's it's politics. do that. It's, yeah, let's do that. Let's exactly. Do that. And that's what I said I have to do. I was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, yeah. I was like... This is where I'm going to end up and dedicate my life doing this. It's like, you know, rebuild soil and life. And, you know, we are what we eat. We've been eating shit. We're, that goes into our guts. That goes into shit our brain connection. Then we have shit for brains. And then we act like a collective bunch of psychos and like lemmings, of, you know, hammering off the edge of a proverbial cliff. 
So I was like, all right, yeah. this food stuff, it's got to be a good, good place to good place to, to be in terms of commercial, the market space. Um, but yeah, had no money, couldn't afford a farm, city slicker. I was like, yeah. I, and I literally cold called a company called Box Corporate Fruit Box. And, they, and because it was 200 meters from my house, I used to drive past it every day. And I was like, I want, I, my rationale was I want to get into the wholesale markets. I want yeah. to understand um, how the fresh produce trading thing works. Because yeah. like, I've decided by this point, I think I'm going to go set myself up with a market garden and have a little permaculture farm somewhere. Yeah. But I don't know anything about it. It's like steep enough learning curve as it is to grow food more mm. profitably. Yeah. But then like Jim, you can know how to grow food. And, but if you don't know anything about the market... So I was like, I want to learn about the market. Who, yeah. what, when, why? Where are there gaps? Where are there shortages? How do we, how does all, just from a basic level, how does this all work? Yeah. So I called up this place and said, can I have a job? Um, I sent my resume through, can I have a job? They similarly, he called back five minutes later and went, look, I'm happy to give you a job, but do you know what we do here? I'm like, I, from your website, it looks like you buy shit tons of fruit, put it in boxes and deliver it to offices. And he's like, yeah. that's pretty much it. So yeah. I'm happy to hire you, but I'm look. You look overqualified. I think you get <laughs> bored. I think yeah, you yeah. get bored really quickly, and that's my only challenge. I'm like, I'm. That's fine. Put me in the wholesale markets. I want to yeah. learn how all that works because I'm thinking in a few years I want to go get a set up a farm. Yeah. I want to know how all that works. It's like sweet, done. You hire, you know. Yeah. And for them, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's it's hard to find people that want to get up at three in the morning and yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. Like, Easy yeah. to find people that want to stay up to life. I was totally doing that. So I had to like I had to 180 my sleeping hours and be like, oh my god, now I'm an early person. Yeah. Um, and and spent a few years in the wholesale markets, um, buying, buying, not really selling, buying yeah. on behalf of this company. Um, and it was good because they were a reasonable sized company yeah. and the buying, like doing that buying meant you were generally a pretty popular like guy in the market. Like the people in the market like to see you coming because when yeah. you're coming, there's a good chance you're going to buy, you know, three pallets or four pallets or something. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, so well, that I was that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, was, that was cool. I learned all about how the markets work and I got to know some of these farmers and particularly I took an organic, uh, took an interest in organic production yeah. systems, biodynamic production systems. So I gravitated towards the the three or four, you know, specialist organic biodynamic wholesalers yeah. in there. And then through that I learned who all the major suppliers were in farmers. And then I started going to their farmers markets on the weekend and getting to know them and asking to go to their farms and blah blah. And, and a couple of times I got on the road and drove up and down the eastern seaboard of the country and went yeah. and visited all these guys and stuck my nose in wherever they'd let me. Yeah. <clears throat> and eventually through that and through letting all of these guys know you know, the reason why I'm doing this obviously is I want to get into farming and production. As this mushroom farm fell over, at the time I was doing procurement for my own little online once a week box service type little pilot, yeah. a couple of other retailers, a few online retailers. Um, and I was buying maybe half this guy's crop each week and his farm fell over and I got you know, three, four, maybe five phone calls in the space of two days going, hey, this guy's farm's falling, you know, that's farm's falling over. Can you do something about it? Like, do you want to do something about it? Here's an yeah. opportunity for you. And I'd just been, I'd spent like 12 months preparing to put my organic fruit and veg business um, that was like one day a week online pilot program that was kind of a learning exercise that I'd done for 12, 18 months. Um, 
And that was about to go from a one day a week, you know, fruit and veg thing to a six day a week deliveries with, you know, 800 SKUs that were Shit. pilfered out of the top, uh, you know, the top 800 performing SKUs. So of, people of the that biggest organic shop. SKUs stand for SKUs. Like SKUs, different stocking units. Yeah. yeah. So it's basically a, 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 a line of grocery that yeah. one of the shops so that hey, I was doing you procurement many, from. You went from how many to how many? Well, I didn't do it. Like it, oh, was, it, it, was, it was literally like two weeks away from happening. But I was I was, I was, was doing my once a week box scheme out of the warehouse of some guys I made friends with and who I was doing procurement for. Yeah. Um, who had like the biggest organic shop in Victoria that, you know, in relative terms, just pumped heaps of volume and yeah. like big enough volume for me to go start dealing directly with farmers. Shit. That's kind of why I was in the business. And we had like taken, we, you know, mined their till data and gone out of the 20,000, you know, SKUs that you've got in your business, we'll take the top 800 performing SKUs, we'll put them online and we'll run it online. Yes, we think. And yeah. then when this fell over, it was like the guys from that business were like, look, thank you, Chris, you can, thank you. Thanks, Rita. Um, you can, you can do what you want. Yeah. If you, put, you can't do both. Yeah. If we put this thing online, like we're relying on you to run it and it's going to be, you know, 80 hour weeks. <laughs> yeah. So you can't go to a mushroom farm as well. If you want to do a mushroom farm, do a mushroom farm. We'll back you to do the mushroom farm. Yeah. And for them, it was like, if we didn't do the mushroom farm, it falls over and us and every other organic shop in the country is like, has no more organic mushrooms or has very limited yeah. amount of organic mushrooms. Wow. So for me, it was like, go chase this like, mushroom calling you know, yeah. dream or compete with like Coles and Woolies and Amazon who was coming by this stage and I was like you know what <laughs> I'm gonna go do the mushroom farm you yeah know? so we like I, we just canned all those other I'd been working on it like 12 months and in the space of about a week just flipped yeah I said to my wife I'm moving to Bendigo <laughs> um, yeah and but the guy so your wife was just like okay let's go <laughs> yeah well yeah. I was I was just traveling a lot I was yeah. based in Bendigo but I was still driving all the stock into the market every yeah. nights a week and yeah and, and driving it down to like down to the peninsula to get our trucks to go to Jesus Queensland. really yeah you were not driving quite to the peninsula yeah to Pearsdale were you really you were, you were from Bendigo uh, yeah, from just, Bendigo to Pearsdale uh, that's like four hours and, and yeah I'd, I'd be six sleeping hours. in vans and in a warehouse and then back to the farm and then it was I was doing yeah I was doing 18 hour days for at least like almost two years there it was crazy um, but the guy who bought the farm the, the guy who we bought the farm from was never a long term prospect it was like you need a from day dot, I was on yeah. the lookout for, I need to find a mushroom farmer. It's like this guy was, it was obvious pretty quickly. He wasn't going to teach me everything because he yeah. wanted to make sure he still had a job type thing. And I was like, yeah. it doesn't really work, mate. It's like, I really need to know how all this works. Yeah. Um, and, and in any case, he was like, you know, of retirement age and stuff anyway. So yeah. I was like, I was always, I had one eye out looking for mushroom growers. Yeah. So whether that was LinkedIn or like Google. So I'd found... You know, I had ID marked Jim and like another couple of just. I had probably five or six people that I was like, these are Australian-based guys who like, yeah, who just from some of the content they share and the material they produce. I think a I'll like them and b that you know they're they're in the right space and probably have the skill set I need. Um, so I was always on the lookout for it, and then definitely by that stage, by that third, that third and a half, fourth year in. We noted like it had gone from that one little farm, found some new business partners. We 
scaled that like tenfold. Yeah. Uh, got into Coles, Woolworths, Costco, supplying nationally. That had kind of stabilized. They had yeah. good, good business going there, good churn. Um, we kind of dominated like 90% of the Australian organic mushroom market. We were, yeah. You know, and I was like, the, so the, you know, the medicinal stuff and the exotics um, and the making better use of our waste was like, horizon one two and three for me and super interesting and what i had to do and that's when i was like jim come work for us <laughs> you know yeah and I, and I was like i was i did the hard sell i was like jim man I, i've been in the markets man you know you could another five years in the markets you every year in the market you're shaving two off the end of your life and you know it and i know it and you know, <laughs> and so i was so, like <laughs> uh, so he, he, and and what was that what was that to you jim like was it just his his honesty about that that Sold it because I was looking for an opportunity to use my skill set. Yeah. Outside of that, outside of those hours, outside of that environment. Yeah. And in a farm, at, at that point, like, I wanted to do my own farm, but yeah, I was happy to go work at his farm because I was going to own the development of this new aspect. Yeah. Of, of the medicinal of the gourmet of the exotic right so he was growing the button uh, agaricus mushroom the, the normal pizza like yeah, what's on our pizza now that and i mean when you see the supermarket there's 90 percent of the supermarket yeah. stuff when i started at gourmet mushrooms in california i really had no idea of exactly how mushrooms grew and of life cycle and all that i learned them from the exotic angle from the spawn level though they're all the same like you take that little bit and you put it there and it grows yeah and that was my that was my that's what i did so i could easily work into his farm even if this whole exotic and medicinal plan didn't work out so i think that was probably my yeah, trepidation you know mm, mm, mm. risk and I was risk averse and, because and I, I had been and I was also telling him it would be risky too yeah so that was probably I was risk averse like, yeah. I was very By risk averse because of what happened to you sunk right? 50 grand mm -hmm. of debt no. into this place you know like you know re re what do you call it remortgage mm. yeah re, re, remortgage yeah. the home with 50 more grand of debt in it because of that you know it's yeah. like I'm super risk averse once put in try shot once put in try once we're out complete up. Once bitten, twice shot. <laughs> I have an appetite. Can't fool me. What? Yeah, yeah. I have an appetite for risk. Yeah. But at that point, like, it was like, you know. So, yeah, it took a while. Yeah. The but it was also that it was like, I was trying to find someone who, who, I, like, there are there there a handful of people around who could have hired. And there's, like, there's a, a laundry list of people that if you were willing to hire someone from India or China or Pakistan, like you had people contacting me every week, sending me resumes yeah. without yeah. even soliciting, you know. Mm. But I was like, I want to find someone who like has the same, has the same passion for the same reasons as well. Yeah. Like, and so the first like probably two or three times we met, it was, as, I was like sanding him out. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah. what do you think about this? What do you think about yeah. that? Yeah. And it's like, after we, we hung out for maybe three, four hours, I was like, yeah, I like this guy and I, and I want him to come and work for the business. Then I was like pushing hard sell. Yeah. Like, come on, let's do it. Like, this will be fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The hard sell didn't necessarily like, I, I'm not saying it didn't work on me, but 
I was in the market and there's a whole bunch of people who are pushing hard all the fucking time. So I was like dead, dead, yeah, yeah. dead inside, dead, all these things. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't even realize the hard sell was happening until. I, I didn't. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. Hard sell's not the right. No, no, no. I reckon it was. I reckon I did want to come work with you too. And I was probably pushing hard from my side, but I didn't, even, you know, like I wanted to get out, but I, I wanted to fucking temper that. So it didn't seem like I was too eager to just <laughs> jump out of this fucking yeah. terrible lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Please let me come work for you sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Like, so as much as he was probably like, I want him to come work here. And I'm like, I want to go work there. It's like, yeah, just make sure that everything's right for both sides. You know, yeah. like there was that little bit, I don't know, but that really worked out. And he got to push that hard as hell that really punched me over it when... I went, he was like, let me bring you up to the Australian Mushroom Growers Association conference. Yeah. Oh, cam- camera's just the camera's done. That's it for the camera. <laughs> so, so just the sound will keep going. The sound will keep going. I'll get a nice photo of us three. And <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm like, all right, great. I got out of work one day yeah. and he, want, he wants to bring me up. He's like, he's going to pay for it. Like their business is going to bring me up there. That, that's yeah. really serious on their side. Yeah. They want me to come be a part of this world that I love. I yeah. want to be a part of this world. So we made it Before any yeah, that's exactly right. Before anything else that was magical that happened on this trip, like they're serious enough about bringing me into the fold. They want me to come be a part of the official organization, you know, from that level. And I'm like, great. I don't really care about the Australian Mushroom Growers Association. Meanwhile, I've also done the hard sell on my business partners that we should have some of this. pushing so hard. And I want to see you pushing hard from both ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he must have been because, you know, eventually I met them too. They're old school. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, like I want to qualify that I said I don't care about the Australian Mushroom Growers Association because, I, you know, there are good people in there, but... It was about agaricus mushrooms and never Everything's about agaricus, agaricus. Yeah, so never what's, about what's, what's agaricus. Agaricus is this this sliced pizza mushroom, the big one. And the AMGA is set up as a research and marketing service for the people who pay the spawn levy, and the spawn levy comes ninety nine point nine five percent from agaricus mushrooms. Agaricus. Yeah, uh, so it's a very agaricus centric organization. Yeah. Yeah. So it should just be agaricus. That's it. That's it. And then me as an exotic mushroom grower tried to sort of get help from the Australian Mushroom Growers Association. They're like, no, we're mainly agaricus. We don't care. The Australian yeah. mushroom growers are agaricus growers and they pay us and they don't care about you. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't give any extra effort to you sort of yeah. thing. So like, as I say, I don't care about them. They didn't care about me, yeah. <laughs> or they didn't care about anything other than Agaricus. That's what I should say, and that's why, like, I paid them very little respect, and I was never going to pay myself to go up there and be a part of their conversation. And he did; his business did, and that that spoke to me because I was like, "All right, well, they want to bring me into that fold." Yeah. And on my way there, when I was getting into the airport to get on a plane to go up there, one hour flight. I was getting message after message after message. Jim, you should be here at this talk. Like, because I'm in the mushroom world. Yeah. I've got lots of contacts. They're there. And there was a guy talking about exotic mushrooms, about cordyceps, that, that Chinese symbol that's on that thing yeah. up there. Like, cordyceps that I find here. I'm all about exotics and medicinals and things like that. And this guy was talking at this conference, this Australian Mushroom Growers Association who only care about a Garrick's yeah. conference. 
And all these people didn't give a shit. Right. Literally, like, the guy who was talking told me after it, he's like, hey. Nobody. Nobody cared. <laughs> like, why did they bring me here? And of course. And I said, they brought you here to meet us. Yeah. That, that was the purpose, I reckon. You know, not understood, but. Yeah. No one in that conference really cared about exotic or medicinal. And I was filming it knowing. Yeah. Can't wait to have this guy. I'd, I'd seen this guy online before, but I'd, yeah. it's, it's not like he was like super famous in the West for mushroom mm. stuff. He was like yeah. super famous in Thailand amongst the mushroom community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in yeah. China and stuff. But yeah. Like, and I'd, I had come across him, but it, it wasn't as though it was like this guy was, you know, Someone who yeah. instantly was like, ah, oh, it's, uh, I was like, I've yeah. seen this guy. And then I was Googling yeah. while he was speaking. Then I was like, ah, oh, that's where I've seen him. Ah, oh, this guy. Ah. Oh. Yeah. I was messaging Jim going, yeah, we go, you got, what time you were arriving? When's your flight getting? I'm going to yeah. call this guy yeah. and harass him until you get here. I'm like, yeah. Which I did. <laughs> so I rolled up and I went to one, one, only one park out of this whole conference that they paid me to come up here to. And then we went on break. And he took me out. I was like, I want to introduce you to Anon, the speaker. Yeah. That that speaker. Yeah. And in this place, like I had, you know, I was working in the market. So I had the contacts from Costa. They were there. The Costa oh, people yeah. were there. So as I well, walked into the break there. room. The whole yeah, mushroom industry. Yeah. Right. All of them were there. And, and people recognized me. Like growers that I sell mushrooms for because I work in the market. Growers that I used to work for, Costa. And Chris is like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about them. I want to take you to meet Anon. So as I'm walking through the room, a couple of these people approach me and start talking. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I got to get over there. Talk, like, like, literally like 10, 15 <laughs> seconds talking to the industry that I'm in and got to a, Anon, the professor. And Chris just made the introduction. And that was it. Like, it, this was the second time in, the, in, in my life that, like, the world stopped. Yeah. Nothing else existed except this conversation, this thing going on. The other time yeah. was what I told you in the very beginning. Whenever me, I met my wife, whenever she bobbed out from behind that bush, yeah. and it was just this little five-foot-nothing person, and she walked up and there were no words. It was just an initial kiss. Yeah. You know, that was, that was a moment that nothing, nothing else existed. And in this case, when I met Anon, it was again like, boom. Yeah. You know what? Fuck this this conversation that these people are having about agaricus mushrooms. That's fine. That's great. They're yeah. doing science, and that's wonderful for them. Let's keep talking about the things that we're talking about, which are way more important than that. Yeah. And it was about medicinal mushrooms and fungi and functional and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, Chris was like, "Yeah, this is there's more value in what we're doing here." Yeah. <laughs> well, and we we didn't cancel dinner. <laughs> yeah. So there was the, like the the conference. You know, has a gala dinner and this and that. And it was like getting on in the afternoon. Yeah. It's like, oh, we've got to go back to our rooms and get ready and go to this thing. And I was like, you know what? How about we just screw that and we just stay here and we just keep yeah, it. We'll keep just this stay going. here. Keep we'll it alive. Going. And yeah. so, yeah, eight hours. It was long. It was like, you know. Find out later, Anon was going to ditch. At that at that dinner, he's like, I'm, I'm going back to Thailand. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm out of here. Yeah. It's, These it's, people this suck. This was pointless. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why they got me here. But then he was like, I'm going to stay in Melbourne for three or four more days and hang out with that you That was guys. in Sydney. <laughs> so he decided at that point to, to come down to Melbourne and see an operation that, that I had gone on. I was growing morels and I had gone in the market and all that kind of well, stuff. What, what are morels? Morels are a very interesting and specific type of mushroom. Yeah. Very tasty. Really? No one can grow them. Like, yeah. well, China has figured it out. They figured it out in 2008 and they published a method in 2012. Yeah. 
Um, so I was straight on to it and understood it, and I had been dealing with Whatever a guy. That gets picked up. Yeah, boom! It absolutely does. I've been dealing with this China. Yeah. Uh, a, a guy in China for yeah. since at least around 2016, and um, we had started incorporating some of his methods here. Yeah. We wanted to get an Australian growth of morel crop, and and that was with the guy I was working for in the Melbourne markets. He's yeah. still working on it, and he got some crop this past, like, only a few weeks ago. He got a crop. And, you know, he's still, like, in that early stage, but he's working on it. We built that together, like, all of that. I, 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 morels are awesome. I've got some dried ones over there. If you're interested, I'll send you home with some. That was actually one of the other dynamics at the time that was that weighed into the decision-making process or the, or the even the practicality of you being able to come and join the business. Yeah. So you guys had just pulled the trigger yeah. on that. Yeah. I was like, come and work for my farming company. He's like, I just, just kind of started, started this morale thing. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh. After, <laughs> after five years of trying to start a farm, you yeah. eventually pulled this trigger on this little project. A month yeah. into it, I'm like, come and work for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, had the morale thing going on. And where did that work into this? Uh, oh, when all came, came down to yeah, see yeah, the Morel yeah. farm, he came down, he witnessed it. He was like, wow, you guys, like, this is, you, this you is know awesome. what? Yeah. <laughs> you guys are just like me at this age. I want you to come to Thailand. I want you to come over to my Come guy. to my son's wedding. Come to my son's wedding. <laughs> and like, that was only right, like sweet. a month and a half. <laughs> yeah. He invited us up to Thailand. We went. And that, that's where, like, so many things happened. So... We went to Thailand. We went to the wedding. I gave him a buck of cordyceps. Cordyceps is another bunny hole. We should go down. But, you know, I'll show you some. We'll get there. Cordyceps give you energy, stamina, libido. Yeah. And this was a major thing that we were working on uh, developing in the market. And I developed all the market that sold cordyceps here. All right. We went to Thailand and gifted his son at his wedding a box of Australian cordyceps. Amazing. Like super valuable, wonderful stuff. Anon, this wonderful guru professor in the in the mushroom world, had connections all through it, and also chefs had 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 come to him to get mushroom knowledge. Yeah. And while I was in Thailand, Heston Blumenthal, yeah, had sequestered some of his knowledge and some of his time to come over there. And visit his farms and understand a little bit more about mushrooms. So you, you, you were timeline crossover with Heston's? It was well, pretty, they were like, you guys should meet. That, that was all serendipitous because back whenever I was a science student going to, to work in my full-time job as a fine dining chef, I was all about science, 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 science. My number one inspiration in yeah. scientific chefing was Heston Blumenthal. Yeah. It, it, there was no other... Yeah. They're like the and tippy top like, of the game. Do you know a chef called Heston? Yeah. And Anon's like, yeah, there's this guy. Yeah, He's from the UK. You probably don't know him. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, here's this photo. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I fucking know that guy. Not only did yeah. I get to meet Heston, but three days before Heston came, Anon had taken me to the farms that Heston was going to go to had given me the tour, had given us, had given the people who were there the yeah. tour. Yeah. And we so knew. Not, they, they took such good care of us. They <laughs> loved it. Every time we go over there. And they yeah. treated us they're like we were international you know, like delegates from, you know, like a government, like tippy top. Yeah. Like they treated us very well. Yeah. They gave us the tour. Just and then three days later, Heston came through on the tour. 
they took me to go meet Heston and pick him up and take him on this tour that we had been on. And right when we were about to meet him, they were like, yeah, yeah you're going to give him the tour. To you? To me. Nice. And this originated to me from there. So I met Heston at McDonald's. Yeah. And just just because now we're... Oh, this. This is a Himalayan singing bowl. There we go. All right. Or yeah. Tibetan singing bowl. Um, so I jumped in. I jumped in. Uh, or three days before, when we were going out on this tour, we stopped at a coffee shop right before we went out to these mushroom farms. Yeah. So when we stopped to meet Heston, we stopped in the exact same spot. And I'm like, oh, we're going to meet Heston at that coffee shop we went into. Maccas. <laughs> and then we went towards the coffee shop, but then went into Maccas. Maccas. McDonald's. <laughs> And there he was, Heston Blumenthal, the, this chef in Mecca is already having his breakfast. And I'm like, I'm meeting Heston Blumenthal at, at McDonald's. This is the greatest thing. And it, we went and sat down and I ordered my breakfast thing and he ordered another breakfast thing. So he had already had one, but he ordered another one. And they sat there for 45 minutes. They sat there while we just like the third time in my life, yeah. the world stopped. <laughs> and just, we were like, boom, boom, boom. He's like, you're the mushroom guy. And we just carried on and carried on and carried on. They're like, we got to go to these things. They're like three hours down the road. So I'm yeah. going to be in the car with, you know, three hours with us. So much time in vans on those trips. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. We just go visit this like four hours later. Yeah, it's just around the corner. As <laughs> soon as we jumped in the car, Heston's like, I just got this bowl, this singing bowl. And I'm going to tell you about the shape of water. And he's talking to me about it all. And he's like, here, taste this. He takes a swig out of his like... Um, uh, what do you, just a generic, generic water bottle. Yeah. You know, 25 cent water bottle. Boom. And he's like, here, taste this. Taste it. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's water. He's like, boom. He pours the water in the singing bowl and he goes to town. Boom, 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 Banging on it. And he's like, look at the vibrations. Look at it going. And yeah, you can see the ripples in the water and all that. And he's like, here, taste it. And I drink out of the thing and he drinks out of the thing. And I'm like, whoa. That's that's different, and he's like, it is different, isn't it? And I wonder what happens when you do that with yeah. That's the thing. As soon as we did that, it's like let's try something else. And we had our McDonald's Coca Cola. Boom, put the McDonald's in there, and boom, 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 boom. All the vibrations, all the thing, and taste it. The thing is, like, it changed the shape of water. I'm a I'm a chemist, and I understand water is a massive weird thing, and we could go into that if you want to, but Let's it's go a, into it. It is a weird thing. Yeah. What is it? Water is, it, it, it's an oxygen. Yeah. With two hydrogens attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're both aware of the periodic table. Yeah. This yeah. is a chemistry thing and we're both probably, yeah. we're all educated. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we've been through high school. We know. <laughs> I do so, take chemistry. <laughs> so we do understand that oxygen plus two hydrogens has a weight. Yeah. Like, that molecule weighs something in our whole mass spectrum. Yeah. But so does everything else on that table. And it starts at the lowest weight and going across it goes to the next highest and to the next row it goes to the next. And all the way through it, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. That's yeah. like the periodicity of the table, yeah. the periodic table, right? Anything around oxygen, sulfur, uh, or carbon, all yeah. those things have weight. Right. But... Yeah. In, in that form, they're not necessarily acting the same way as water. Let me tell you why. So water, H2O, has a very specific 
sort of setup where it's a polar molecule. One side has more of a positive and one side has more of a negative. And that's because there's an oxygen with sort of two hydrogens sticking out of it. Yeah. And those hydrogens are, they have that sort of positive effect. Yeah. And the oxygen has more of a negative effect. It just yeah. means that the way that they borrow or give electrons in the world, yeah. in their world, is a little bit different. Yeah. The oxygen is more like, let me have, and the, the hydrogens are like, let me give. Yeah. And that's the discharge, right? So they have this, they have this weird sort of thing where the oxygen and the hydrogens affect what's going on around them. Yeah. Right? So the weight of this molecule should be gaseous. Mm. The water at, at room temperature. Mm. So like oxygen, uh, if I remember right, it's around <laughs> 16. And then hydrogens are each one as yeah. far as molecular weight. So we have a molecular weight yeah. of 18 where carbon is 12. Okay. So it's it, carbon at, at room temperature or whatever. Uh, uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting fucking lost here. This is <laughs> yeah. getting too complex. I need to sit and look at it. This molecule at room temperature should be a gas, but it is a liquid. Yeah. We see this, but it's acting like a liquid and it's actually solid. Are these solids, this is ice. There's several different types or forms of ice. I think there's eight, but there could be more. This was back whenever I was studying for, for coming to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think about eight versions of ice and the one that we know, the one that floats in our drink, is that water has actually expanded a bit more, or the ice has actually... I think this is either ice 3 or ice 4, or maybe a complex of both. Yeah. But the rest of it actually is ice in different versions, or solid water in different versions. And I know that's it's, this is all way too complex to digest in a single fucking moment. Yeah. But the thing is about hydrogen bonding. That's all it is. Hydrogen bonding is not like a real physical bond where you have carbon-carbon bonds and it makes something solid or iron-iron bonds and it makes yeah. something solid. It's hydrogen bonding. So that's like giving part of its charge to a little part of a, a negative charge. So yeah. where oxygen and hydrogens are, you know, a little electronegative, a little electropositive, they all arrange together. Yeah. And they're like groups of them. And what we what as chemists you can you can sort of see like at different temperatures different groups different amounts of molecules will form a solid for a very specific period of time mm. at different temperatures so that's yeah. why you get these different sort of levels of solid yeah at a freezing temperature at zero which we define because of water mm. <laughs> that's how we landed at what zero was yeah exactly and we got measurements and all this other shit because of water um we define solid water ice number three or ice number four because they all arrange with these massive crystal structures at yeah. that temperature yeah yeah and it seems like they all form and only form that and that floats on water and it's more dense or whatever but there are eight different versions of sizes of macro structures that are formed and the, the mind-blowing thing about this is that it's the water the hydrogen bonding happens for about 
I can't remember exactly, but it's 13 yeah. either hundredths or thousandths of a second. And so that means like... Not a long time. Yeah. No, it's I'm just like on. we're bonding with this group, then we're bonding with this group, but we're doing that 13,000 times a second. So is that is that just like um, simultaneously that they're bonding? So it's, boom, 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 boom. And it just yeah. like... Bouncing. And, and somehow, because they have the bond, they have the, the lattice or crystalline structure. Yeah. That keeps them in that form, so they don't go off as a gas. They yeah. stay as a liquid. Yeah. And the more you give them pressure, the more you give them cold, they slow down, and yeah. they'll do the bonding in a larger group for a longer yeah. amount of time. That's it. Water is a solid that should be a gas, yeah. but it acts like, like a liquid. liquid. <laughs> so, look... I, I don't want to just screw up everybody's brain or, or, or say the wrong things, but those are true statements. All of them. Yeah, yeah. And Go on your own bunny hole with those. Yeah, there's a, the, 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 the shape of the hole gets interesting when you throw in electrostatic activity and its relationship between water and life. That's like so that's, that's life you know, electrostatic or physical, mechanical. Yeah. What you're doing here, like this is a solid, certain frequency vibration. Yeah. And it's lining those up. So yeah. where you have ice one or ice two or ice three. They're calibrated. <laughs> they're all sort of set to the same thing here. And that liquid that you put in your mouth. So like. Uh, oh, shit. That, I think. Sorry. The light bulb won't say that it's like. Calibrating it. Yes. Yeah. So when you say it's, you change the shape of water, yeah, it's yeah. like you arrange it. Uh, I'm gonna do this. To like, yeah. I know they can't see it, but let yeah. me go over here and get some water, and 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 you can taste and feel the difference. Like it, it's something that you can do. So there, like there are people out there like selling structured water. Yeah. You can go online, and there are people who who will tell you that they've spent the time done the work yeah made the effort and discovered that exposing water to this particular frequency whether it's sound or this particular charge be it water yeah. will structure it in this particular George, way that that meant just for you I, I rinsed it out this is only going to be your water just have a little taste that's from this tap tastes like water tastes like water yeah. feels like water and it's been calibrated and therefore that hasn't yeah. been calibrated no, but that's this is what they're selling and it's been calibrated there I want you to see there's, there's like vibrations here that we're imparting. Can you see? Can you see like the ripples? I can sort of see the ripples. There's not a lot of light shining yeah. on it, so you wouldn't have a lot of reflection of shadows. But Yeah, let me grab this light actually. I want to save this. <laughs> it's a good little... <laughs> I'm sure that microphone's going nuts from this, but you know what? Fuck it. it all. Actually, I'll get something else to fix it. <laughs> Especially You see those little yeah. ripples? Yeah, you can see it. So that's a shower. frequency that we're giving to the water. Now, lift that bowl and drink from it. All right. And then if you, you need to, feel from this. Yeah. And, 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 and it's just different. It's it like coats, it coats the tongue. It, is, it feels different. That does taste different. We've changed the shape of water we've calibrated now there's a so there's a thing called um i don't know if you guys probably have heard of it like bi binaural beats yeah yeah <laughs> whenever heston came over to our farm yeah he's like let me let me just zone out while we're on the way 
Headphones on, binaural beats, meditation. Like He was like fully jet lagged and he was like, I'm hoping this is going to recover like 12 hours of sleep that I'm missing. Dude, I'm going to do 45 minutes with these binaural beats. <laughs> every, every morning I'll wake up, first thing I do is I'll put 432 hertz on. Yep. Just a pure tone. You'll think I'm a psychopath meditating to this. Because it's literally just a... That's the like... Just noise, yeah. Isn't that Schumann? Isn't that the Schumann resonance? That is the Schumann resonance. Yeah, too. And, and, just, and there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of conspiratorial thinking about how and why the standard was settled at 440, but for recording and for playback. Well, so they, 440 hertz is apparently somehow like incongruent or disharmonious yeah, with right. how our system would otherwise choose to function. But then you think about what we're made of. Water. Water. <laughs> so those, those frequencies coming through and listening to those... They change, they change you, man. Have you heard of like gong baths? No. So this is a big thing that we were doing in Thailand. <laughs> like you could either stand in a big ass bowl like this, yeah. like a big one, stand inside of it, you as a human, and yeah. somebody just be on the outside <laughs> of it banging, and you get all of that, like all of it just coming up through you. Yeah. Or you go to these temples in Thailand and you see people doing this. They line up at these big gongs and these gongs are like like two meters in diameter. And you get something that weighs like three or four kilos, just like a big, you know, stick. I think I have footage of that. Yeah, yeah. And just like, oh, so you guys have done Boom. And you stand behind it. And yeah, for 20 minutes, like gong baths. So you stand behind that thing and people just bang at it. And that's throwing this frequency at you yeah when people say gong baths they, they it like it alleviates pains it yeah. just puts you in this mood like it's all kinds of energy yeah just zzz, it, buzz man it really so now i might be getting too sort of spiritual here but um so they say that we've got you know chakras like different energy centers in your yeah. brain you've got the seven so i think it starts with like the root yeah around the navel then whatever that bit is, Sacral, point, heart, yeah, heart, yeah, throat, right, and then each of those has resonates with a certain frequency. Yeah. So with those um, Tibetan bowls, yeah, they've got the different sizes in it. Yeah. 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 And one thing that really levels me out, whether it's a placebo or not, there's no downside to it because you're just listening to something. But I'll listen to different frequencies of those Tibetan bowls on a YouTube yeah. video, just getting yeah. getting sort of hit. And man, I'll tell you, just like that, it changes my day. If I'm feeling in a funk, it, it, it changes me, right? And the more you think about it, the more effort you put into it. And it's like, you don't have to be brought into it. You physically, actually, intentionally are ready hmm. to be hit by that vibration. And it doesn't take you 20 minutes of it just like being gong bath. Yeah. As soon as you feel it, you feel it. And that's yeah. like, I feel like that's when we walk through the forest and break open the volatiles of the mycelium. Yeah. It's an instantaneous sort of energy. Sometimes it's even before. <laughs> yeah, no, there is, you, there is an, an electric effect yeah, of an anticipatory anticipating effect. going on a mushroom hunt, yeah. going out there and being in that environment that elicits all those sort same of thing responses. With, yeah, same thing with eating them. And same thing with, like, well, even, you know, when you and I have, Partaken, I always had a singing bowl mm. to start. Oh, always. Yeah. Um, I, I do. I do want to talk about uh, the quadriceps, though. So what? 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 What are, what are quadriceps? 
What are they? Cordyceps? So, cordyceps yeah. are a. Fucking saying cordyceps, like <laughs> quad muscle. Cordyceps. Uh, yeah. Cordyceps are a species of fungi that colonize and feed on or use insects as their growth medium. What? Yeah. So, so I don't know, you might have seen, heaps of people would have seen like there's a, a Planet Earth episode where there's maybe a six or seven minute sequence where David Attenborough narrates over. Uh, maybe five or six different cordyceps varieties. So, like, cordyceps is, like, the general catch-all. Yeah. Um, but pretty much every insect in forest, rainforest at least, has a cordyceps. So this is, a, like, a counterbalance, a natural limiter, like a limiting function that will prevent any given insect from overbreeding or overcolonizing or, you know, taking a particular no, their, their area of biosphere out of balance. And so when, once it gets too many of them, the chances of them interacting with their, their counterpart, the cordyceps species, at some level, you know, at some threshold, increases exponentially, they get infected, and yeah. that, that brings the colony back down to earth, so to speak. So you never get too much imbalance in any particular kind of insect. So of the thousands of insects in the Amazon, each yeah. of them has its own cordyceps. So the cordyceps that is most well-known. Well, there's probably a couple of cordyceps that are most well-known. Cordyceps sinensis, which is the one that's found in China and Himalayas and yeah. Bhutan and is the one that, you know, costs 100 grand a kilo dried material yeah. for the, you know, for the fresh, you know, best exemplars of specimens. Um, has been used in traditional Chinese medicine for a gazillion however many years. Uh, is um, yeah, it's kind of held up as the the bee's knees and the pinnacle of in, in TCM. So yeah. Can, as a general tonic, can be used for many, many, many things. Um, and then the one that of, is in even greater interest to us is what Jim is about to put in your hand, is Cordyceps gunnii. So that's an Australian. Man, that actually smells like... It's got all kinds. Vanillin, chocolate, tobacco... You could probably smell all three or more if you're if you're at it. And so this part that you're yeah. holding on to. Yeah, that's the that was the a root. That was a caterpillar. It's a worm. It's a caterpillar. Yeah. You see the segments. You see the feet. You see the tail. You see the head. So that particular caterpillar burrows into caterpillar. Burrows into a, a, a tree, <laughs> and it burrows its way down the tree and out through the root, through the root, um, and then makes itself a little escape hatch. Yeah, and the escape hatch is. The hole basically that it digs out to the surface, yeah, and yep. goes back down to the bottom of the, the little tunnel that it's in, with the intent to make itself a little cocoon and for the pupae yep. to turn into a moth, yep. and then to, from a moth to fly away. Yeah, but as I said before, each of these species, each of these insects has a, a cordyceps counterpart. Yeah, and the one that you're holding in its hand. <laughs> happen to pick up a bunch of those spores through the process. And when yep. I say through the process, either in the soil or in the, you know, yep. at some stage in its yeah. cycle has been infected by these spores. And so when it gets to the stage of almost beginning to try and turn into, you know, uh, create a little... Can I put this on the table? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a photo of this as well. Yeah. Made it turn yeah. into a, a moth. It instead gets consumed and fully colonized by the mushroom. And so yeah. the mushroom's super, super aggressive. And obviously, it has to be. If you think not only it. not only that, but like the spore has germinated into, into its body, its living body. Yeah. Then and it went 
it moved into its brain and then started controlling the central nervous system <laughs> of the motion there. So through a biochemical control over the organism, forced it to then do something. So for each cordyceps, there is different... There's a different action. The different yeah. action. So for each insect, there's a different action. For this particular one, the cordyceps doesn't have to do a lot. It just sends it's it right down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it kills it and mummifies it. But for an ant or for a spider or for something else that would have had ingested its own cordyceps, the ant, the infected brain, drives it as high as it can on a blade of grass or bush mm. or tree. And once it gets up as high as it can go, the cordyceps will get it to clamp down and lock itself in place. Then it'll kill it, yeah. mummify it, engulf it in its own mycelium, digest its body so that it, with its own nutrition, can then force a mushroom, a fruiting body, out of its head. Why out of the head? I, I reckon it's just because it spends most of the time controlling the body of the insect through the head. Yeah. So it's almost always out of the head, but you can find cordyceps that are growing all through the body. But mostly, <laughs> look, that's out of the head. And, and you know, for most worms we can find, it's coming out of the head. Um, but yeah, it's biochemical control has driven it to do whatever it's going to do. That's why they call it the zombie fungus. It is a true zombie. Yeah. Before it gets killed and mummified. And and then fruits a mushroom and for the ants and a lot of the yeah. others that it's driving to a high point it's it's purely a practical yeah. exercise of trying to disperse the spore as far and wide as it can over so the colony it, so it tries to get it to climb up a tree or up to the top of a blade, blade yeah. of grass so that when it does mummify zombify produce the primordial fruiting body and the spore is burst from the tip it's at its highest point possible you know you, you can too bad we're on the camera, but that's why I took a photo of it. You can actually tell that 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 root or that stem rather looks mm. like a caterpillar. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, that, it that is a caterpillar. Is the body. Yeah. It's like it is the body. Like nothing in the in terms of the shape has changed because it colonizes yeah. so quickly. Yeah. So yeah. it's like if you could imagine, like Water if it were to do the same thing to a human, it would be like a paper mache human. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. The like, only thing here. That is caterpillar. The original caterpillar is the eye. This down and out on the screen. It's the, no. yeah. um, is the eye. So the eye is made of chitin. Yeah. And the fungus, the fungal cell walls are made of chitin. They cannot dissolve chitin. Yeah. So on this one, maybe under the dirt. See the little red eye. You will be thing. able to see the eye. It looks like the fungus might have covered it. Oh, it's in there. So just in between the two there, like look between the goalposts, there's a little hole and there's yeah. a little red eye. Oh, that's it. Yeah. That's um, the only thing that, remaining. That's a chitin eye. And that's the only thing that remains of the original caterpillar because the rest of it has been totally consumed. That is such a fucking creep. Seriously. Mm. I know. These things. Energy, like... stamina, libido. Here, take that. Yeah. You own that. I can take this now? Yeah, I'm gonna give you a few more so you can actually have a tea or something like that. Like I, mean, I make cordyceps supplements. I make pills. We have them often. I have them every day. Yeah. I don't know how often you have. I have them every day. Too. <laughs> yeah. Cordyceps. Yeah. Lion's mane. I've heard of lion's mane. Lion's mane. That's all about brain. Yeah. So cordyceps is all about oxygenation of the yeah. blood, getting oxygen in. Just lion's mane is all about the brain. I might take this before I do. A, a competition. Yeah. Well, you do. Correct. 
Yeah, we, we do park run. Well, we did before COVID. We did park run every Saturday. It's a 5K run, timed 5K run. And you all have a barcode and you scan in. We've been doing it for years. One time, I said, all right, family, let's all have cordyceps before we do. We all, and I don't know, this is, this is crazy. We all got a minute off our personal bests. Really? Yeah, you'd think we'd be doing this every week, but like they 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 turn around and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah whatever. I don't want to have that every. They don't want to go through the regime, whatever. But that period, that one time that we tried it, whether we were all on our game or not, I don't know. Uh, it's pretty. I pretty made all of us got a minute yeah. off our PB. It's, it's pretty noticeable. It's like, do you remember? Was it the '96? Was it Atlanta? The, the World Games, 95 World Games, yeah. When all the like Chinese swimmers started winning gold medals that had never won it, like yeah. Chinese like never won a medal in swimming before ever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're winning gold medals left, right, and center in a sport that they've traditionally been not yeah. like, performing in. And anyway, everyone was like, oh, they're doping, they're doping, they're doping, they're doping. And they were happy for everyone to think they were doping yeah. because they were actually taking cordyceps, but they didn't want to say they were taking cordyceps because yeah. everyone else just would as well and then their advantage disappears. Yeah. But for a, for an amateur like, you know, like me, it's, it's noticeable. Like yeah. the, the, the increased stamina and like oxygen uptake. Well, I'll, I'll let you guys know. I'll take this before a training session. Do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll give you some more too. Yeah. For I'll... an elite athlete, you know, maybe it's a, it's a half a percent yeah, yeah. improvement. Small percentage, but you'll know. That's huge in, in the context of the People Olympics. who are paying yeah. attention yeah. notice. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah, I might, I might let my, um, my coach know about it because he, he competes at the sort of world level. Mm. And yeah. well, from that point, it's like the price of cordyceps. Just, it was Sky already... Under. Yeah. It was already like you know, yeah, the pinnacle in TCM and yeah, yeah, yeah. Rare and, yeah. And in the nineties, they would have been like maybe a couple of hundred dollars a kilo, mm-hmm. literally a couple of hundred dollars a kilo. Turn of the century, because people found that out around ninety five, ninety six, two thousand, three thousand, around truffle prices. Yeah, wow. insane. Wow. Come to the point where I come to Australia. It's two thousand eight. Yeah. And I found my first cordyceps here. I'm like, the cordyceps are cool. That's great. Wow. I never found a cordyceps in the wild before, but I found one here in Australia. Um, then, several years later, working in the market, one of the people came through who normally deliver us wild mushrooms. Yeah. And he had a stack of these wild cordyceps in the back of his car. Like... He's bringing me pine mushrooms and slippery jacks, yeah. wild harvested mushrooms. But he had a stack of these in the back of his car. Yeah. And I knew what they were. And I was like, hey, what are you doing with those? He's yeah. like, oh, I sell them to this guy in the city. He's got a restaurant, puts them on his menu. He, uh, for the last 20 years, he, yeah. he sends me out and he wants these particular mushrooms. He loves them. I'm like, what does he love them for? He's like, energy, they give him something. He puts them on the menu, he feeds them to people. Like you can eat them. That that was enough for me to like say, okay, there's there's this whole history in Australia where we don't have a history of safe use. Yeah. So when I found the cordyceps here, I was like, well, it's cool to look at, but who knows what you can do with it? Yeah. Never thought about eating it because you know it's it's a fungus. Why would you eat it 
if you don't know anything about it. Yeah. This guy had been selling it for 20 to 25 years to some guy who puts it on a menu to people. <laughs> that was enough for me. I gave it, I, I said, okay, you're no longer selling them to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you're now selling them to me. I'm going to buy them. How much do you sell them for? 20 bucks a kilo. I'm like, really? You know what these things are worth? Okay, great. 20 bucks a kilo? They're mine. You sell yeah. them. Yeah. So I didn't try them immediately, but I think it was later that week, Friday morning. So this was Thursday night. I went to work at 11 p.m. and I finished Friday morning at 7 a.m. And I was like, hey, 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 my boss, 60-something-year-old man, I'm like, I got these mushrooms. Try them. Try them. He knows what cordyceps are. I got these cordyceps. They're try them. Try yeah. them. So we put him in a tea. He goes upstairs and he's doing his numbers at the finish of the day. It was a fucking terrible day, if I recall. And I get up and bang, I have my thing. And by the time I finish my tea, he's already finished his and he's staring at me. He's like, we got to get more. Really? Yeah. And you know what? I'm like, but we do. <laughs> we need a full year's supply so that we can get through this year and then have more next year because this shit is amazing. And that day, that Friday, so Friday, like, I'm working in the markets at that time. That's where I go to work Sunday night at 11 p.m. Mm. And I finish my week Friday morning at 7 a.m. So the rest of the weekend, do I stay in that mode or do I go back to family mode? I go back to family mode. I got yeah. two kids. So I switch that day. On Friday, I stay awake all day as long as I can. Mm. Instead of going to sleep at sort of 9 or 10 in the morning, I stay awake. So... Typically, I'm passing out at 6 or 7. I just can't do anymore. Like 6, 7 p.m., I'm done. I'm like, mm, zombie. But this day, 9, 9.30, I'm playing with the kids. And I don't, I don't feel the need to go to bed. I don't feel tired. I don't, it just lasted. And that's the thing. is like when you do day-to-day hard, long hours, and you know that you have an average of 3 to 5 hours of sleep a day, you're going to be limited by your own body, yeah. right? Your capacity is limited. I had this, and it just increased my natural capacity. That was it. Yeah. And from that moment until today, I have this. And it, my natural capacity, just from the inner whatever, is increased. So how? So do I just put this in? Tea, soup, whatever. Yeah. The thing is that there's a lot yeah. of whatever it is in that yeah and is it just one one whole thing in the tea no <laughs> that's the thing is like i i could do that i could because i don't know if it's a tolerance i don't know yeah my 60 year old boss he would do he would do similar and like take a few centimeters in a tea or something like every day said, yeah but then he got to a point after three years it was three years we had been in the old market moved to the new market and he had a couple of big, large doses. He had some caffeine. He was trying to stay awake. He was literally affected by his lifestyle. Yeah. Trying to stay awake. Consumed a lot of caffeine and a lot of cordyceps and ended up losing his balance. His what vertigo. Is, vertigo. He got vertigo. And this is a thing. Heston that if you vertigo. have too much of that. Yes. Heston got it the first God, time he tried, tried it. Exactly. Here, try this. But, but that's the thing is I told him, like, don't consume too much because I'm not sure. Like, everyone's got a little different tolerance. Yeah. And if you have too much of it yeah. at any given time, no shit. vertigo. And I found out from people who have studied it 
is that it's a misfire of timing between what's going on in your brain because this stuff crosses blood-brain barrier yeah. and, and invigorates, oxygenates the brain. Yeah. But the body, there's a misfire in time. Can't so you that. get this vertigo and you get this like chattering. Yeah. And it happens. I don't know why. So I'm not saying that it's terrible for you. You yeah. will get vertigo if you take too much. I've seen it multiple times because people are super invigorated by the fact that they have more energy. Take more and you get more. That's not that's not necessarily the case. As you say, it's that what was it called? That that squiggly line? Jeremy Baramy. Yeah, it's, it's Jeremy. the Jeremy Baramy. That's the mushroom thing. I don't know. Yeah. Like I can't put a pin on it. That's it. There's, I've been taking them for now about eight years. There's gonna be all this other minutiae as well. And I've never had that. What's in your guts? What have you eaten for the last twenty four hours? Yeah. What else? What other you know? What other hormones are pumping around at the time? I gave them to some Chinese people one time, and I gave them only a couple of centimeters a piece of that. Yeah. Oh. And they thought that they were dying. Did they? Yeah, because of the vertigo, they didn't uh, didn't know their awareness. They were sweating. She maybe I shouldn't. So, so that's the thing is like don't just like do a whole bunch it's like whenever i tell people to try it because i've experienced such great things you should also but just start with a very small amount yeah. if that small amount doesn't affect you yeah. go to a larger amount yeah and, and just get to that point where you know you've you've done something awesome and yeah. stay at that point so what, what about lines, mate? And, and yeah, and there's that, no limit there. It's a great stack with those two. That mm. with lines, mate, is a fantastic yeah. stack. Yeah. And cacao. Like, yeah. Well, like like, chocolate like and cacao nibs, for instance. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mix it into pan of chocolate. Oh, pan of chocolate's great. Yeah. Just a. We literally we grind it up into like powder like this. Yeah. And we go to Panna's kitchen and. We take all the rejects from the manufacturing that were out of spec and we melt them all down and we mix all this in and we... Yeah, this is your tepache, yeah? I'm just going to put some ice in here and I'm going to put some of this. So this brew that I have, oh, yeah. okay. this is brain juice. Mine, I, I, still, I haven't opened mine yet. It's still. Uh... Well, this is a fermented lion's mane juice. Ah, oh, perfect. So I've extracted lion's mane. Yeah. Mm. And it's what I, I compare it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I compare it to tepache. So that oh, that pineapple that ferment good. that we've already had. Yeah. What the fuck? Well, it had a grid on grain. Can I please have some tepache with some lines, maybe? Yeah, well, he's about to. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And that's yours. I'm gonna, that's your tepache. I'm going to just put a little ice in there. And if you said to me that fermented mushroom is going to smell nice, like it smells kind of like tangy and sweet. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Would not have thought that. Yeah. So this is a brain shock. This is, there are at least a couple of different, at least two or three different compounds in here. Harisinones and aranacines. They're families of terpenes that cross the blood-brain barrier and stack up along your myelin sheath and make your axon to neuron connection work faster. And the other one, so those are harisinones, aranacines. They actually regrow work for NGF, neural growth factor. So there are two compounds in here, at least two families of compounds that go into your brain and it's dose dependent. You could drink this whole thing and just like super fire for a while. Yeah. There's a thing like harisinones and aranacins, they work in your brain. It's a, a brain stack. And you put that with cordyceps 
and working. It works to oxygenate and protect and this, work on growth. This would be so, so good for, for sport. Well, you can yeah, apply sport, sport, for sure. Like, yeah, we, Multiple have, we, we totally got to like, yeah, the sports brain body hack drink already yeah. exists. It's no matter where that fits into our product yeah. market. <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking more broadly, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, now, Funky do this shit. Yeah. For us. Yeah. <laughs> Not for us, but because they just do. But and this is we thing, can use so it. We've been, when, right at the start of our conversation a few hours ago, when I said, like, a bunch of this stuff's underground, culturally, figuratively, literally. Mm. But for a long 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 time like basically up until the last couple hundred years we were foraging for this stuff constantly yeah and we imagine we, how many things we had in our diet when we were foraging yeah. we must have had like, like 60 to 80 different things, different things a day before 10 a.m like, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah <coughs> i had a friend and here we have like four a week Simone, because yeah. we have potatoes which are the same as rice, which are the same as wheat. They're all a starch, you know? Yeah, There's yeah. nothing interesting there for our body. Yeah, a very near, dear friend of mine who sadly passed earlier this year, but he took up the habit of, like, sample nibbling almost everything around him. Like, he went yeah. through the bush yeah. and he'd yeah. be like, nibble this, nibble this, nibble this. And like, don't eat anything. Yeah. Don't eat it. Yeah. So yeah. that you're like, but once it's in your saliva, like, your body's... It, yeah, oh, oh. reacting. Doing something exactly yeah. straight away as soon as it's in your saliva, it's you know, and so he's. I'm not sure whether he had like a, a solid, you know, fundamental theory or, or hypothesis that was underpinning. I don't this think you habit. need one, man. You just no, gotta it, go. It was, but the general thesis was look, we've, we've been doing this for a hell of a long time, we've been we've agriculturalized and civilized down to domesticated the point, ourselves domesticated ourselves we need to protect to our grain stocks yeah where mm. it's like with uh, well, brick walls two different types <laughs> of two different types of grain and three vegetables and a piece of meat or whatever. so you might get like even seven or eight different varieties of things in a day whereas in an evolutionary context there would there would have been hundreds imagine the people in the city though like they're in. living literally with like yeah. three or four inputs a day yeah and no, and oh, people, shit, you're right. And humans can go, and th th there are people in our start protein and fat. You got to think like broadly, all the things that put those in, and yeah, and how long most of my pantry is starch walking around mm. in rubber shoes, rubber sole shoes, they get mm. into rubber, never touch dirt, their, rubber, their, their feet, their, their hands, their skin never like earths, like that. You know, they walk around on asphalt, getting the. Apartments, concrete, there's people who spend their whole, you know, 12 months without their feet touching dirt or sand or whatever. It's crazy. When's the last time your feet touched the earth? Um, uh, I think yesterday. I, That's I, pretty I, good. I, I, I ground on purpose. I do yeah. grounding. It's purposeful. Purpose. Yeah. It's purposeful. Yeah. yeah. If I, it's not purposeful, if you don't make an intention to do it, how often do your feet so touch the ground? Let me, let me answer the you question. Can, you can say it pretty easily now. Yeah. In a different timeline, if you asked me maybe a year ago or a bit more than that, when I was at the beach mm. only. And then in Melbourne... And then you only get sand the where there's no fucking mycelium. Yeah. Just to be sure, there's none. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I, I think, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure we absorb a lot through our feet. 100%. Yeah. 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 Mm. So I got a TCM, like the, the balm... It, 
bombs and stuff that they'll put, yeah. they put on the soles of It's feet. just like earth and fat <laughs> yeah. on your feet. Yeah, pretty much. That, um, so, well, I, I want to go back to, to this because I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, you could literally, you could literally have sports people using this because you've got, you, you've got the lines made for the brain function and you've got that, which obviously would do something where I'm assuming it expand, expands your... VO2. Uh, right? Your yeah, VO2 right. increases. Bang. There was... It, it's, it's very well studied. The amount of oxygen in your blood increases when you have that in your system in a very small amount. And how come, how come it's not widely used? Like this... It's well, expensive it's, as fuck. That's the problem. That's what I mean. It's like as soon as... as, soon as oh, we didn't, we didn't get to where approach. the price went. So... In mm, 2000, yeah. it went to two or three grand a kilo. In 2014, it topped that at about 200,000 US dollars per kilo because what? the pharmaceutical companies cottoned on to what was going on. Yeah, okay. Tibetan, Nepal, the supplies, they were all just sucked up. $200,000 a kilo. I was selling those regularly for 20K, $20,000 a kilo from Australia. From the the wholesale market, killer twenty grand, and they went on to do whatever they're going to do with them, because the retail value at that time was one hundred and eighty to two hundred thousand. Those are like narcotic prices. Exactly, a little less than some narcotics. Yeah. a little bit more than some of the more general things. But yeah, yeah. it is. But Absolutely. it's it's hugely. Problematic in this I can say too, that yeah. I started that in Melbourne. No one else fucking did that. Like I took that out of the back of the fucking guy's car who was bringing me wild mushrooms and started selling them here. Yeah, I sold seventy five thousand dollars worth of that in a year. But the um, that's pretty the challenge is that what's it's... hugely problematic is that one of the other reasons, apart from the the perceived value that pushed the price up is, mm. is you know, there's the demand. Cultural value. And there's the supply yeah. equation as well. So the supply equation went to shit because it just got massively over-harvested everywhere. Like in Bhutan now, there's literally armed guards yeah. that stand over the harvesting fields, like fields, you know, the, the grass mm. areas. Where they, so you need a license, you need to be able You'd to You'd go to war over your own supply. Yeah. And, and, so yep. now it's and they do. The Bhutanese government issues licenses to, to people, like to people of the local village areas or whatever. Only so many people are allowed to actually pick, and you have quotas. And yeah, there, there's literally guys standing around with guns, making sure that people that don't have licenses aren't coming to also pick. They should totally make a Netflix series about this. Like, and I reckon it's on the cards, man. It's probably happening. Yeah. So. Number one, that's amazing that you would have been the source of this. Melbourne, yeah. So for gut health, what mm. what mushroom would you take? Uh, microfungi. So I wouldn't necessarily go to any of the mushrooms, yeah. like the higher fungi that you know you cook in your pan, agaricus, mm. or like portobello or yeah. um, shiitake or things like that. Yeah. Wouldn't go to those for gut health. Yeah. Although, having said that, the fiber 
Yeah. Fiber is good. It's good for your eat a lot and gut health. Like our product yeah. Fable has way more fiber than other yeah. plant-based meats. Yeah. Because and it's supercharged with yeah. vitamin D because they're dried in the sun. That's a, that's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. Vitamin D is something that a lot of people just don't get. They don't go outside. No, they don't. They don't touch the ground and they yeah. don't go outside. Yeah. That's it's a big thing. But mushrooms have this natural ability, just like we do. And it's through these couple of compounds that were noticed in cereal grains. Ergothiamine? Ergotamine? Ergot. I'm thinking of ergot. Ergot. Yeah. I'm stuck in ergot, but there are two. Ergothiamine yeah. and ergot. Anyway, doesn't matter. They, because of the sun, produce vitamin D. Just exactly through oh. the exact same mechanism that we do. We are like mushrooms. We yeah. are. We have Much the closer. exact same method, mechanism. So whether or not I get it right or wrong. <laughs> well, but we, we, we do share a lot. We digest the same way that it is. We use chemicals and enzymes to like break stuff down, break down the like outer cell wall barriers and things to digest them and incorporate them into our being. And yeah, yep. we, that's what we do. And we Here. exhale carbon dioxide. The same way they That's do. all fungi. Fungi do yeah. that, but they do it outside of their cell wall. Yeah. They excrete enzymes, break down the environment, absorb sugar. Oh shit! Just that's like, what we still do. technically do that externally. Like our digestive system is technically external. Like yeah, if you yeah. Pull it, pull it out. Of you. <laughs> We're experiencing the environment on the inside of our body. Yeah, yeah, on a large surface area. That's adapted to experience that, and then it changes it to something that we can use. It's the exact same thing as a fungus, but we do it inside. They do it outside. They excrete enzymes into their environment, yeah. absorb sugars, leave everything else behind. We do that, but we also have systems to filter out what we've done. So the excretions go through our kidneys and our liver. Yeah. Water is separated. Uh, urea is separated. So, yeah, of course, we piss. Yeah. That's waste. Yeah. We excrete other things. That's yeah. waste. But every bit of water that is not in that sort of original concentration of what we need to excrete is recycled. Okay. Recycled back into our whole system. Have you... Have our, you... our piss is always the same concentration. That's no, urea. It's true. Yeah. Have you guys... Have you guys heard of the... Um, who, who came up with it? Um... Uh, I can't remember his name, but it's called the the stoned ape theory. <laughs> McKenna. Yeah, that's right. Terence McKenna. Of course. Absolutely. We're writing a book at the moment. Well, we've started writing a book. Have you really? I've done the outline for the book. I've done all the chapters. What, is, what is it? Are, we, are you allowed to? Well, yeah. It's, it's going to be called a, a fungi fable, a fable fable, a fable of fungi. Fable, a fable, fable, fungi. fable. Yeah. It's going to be a story about fungi. And yeah, it's going to incorporate. It's like our, our formative alliance from, uh, you know, foraging and food and medicine to stoned ape to um, cultivation through to its religious, socio-cultural impacts through to its 
disassociation with us and our ass hattery and hattery. Bullzing of everything else. That's a good verb. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And then as she coined it, this as hattery. Having, having descended into a pit of ass hattery, we need to climb out of it, and climbing out of it will require a conscious realliance and repartnering with fungi to fix Re. our food. Because originally, as we did, we, were, <laughs> yeah. we climbed out of the grass mm. and the tree. We followed those bison around the grassy plains and mm. in tracking them, we track them through their scat and every now and then in their have scat. Have you had, have you had a dose of psychic, like psilocybin so, so yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't. I do want to have a sure. dose of them, but <laughs> the only, the only thing is they're hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. Legality is an issue. Yeah. Look, yeah. I, Go I to the places where they're legal. Yeah. And I wanted, I wanted to do it in Holland when I was there. Mm. But by the time I got there, they were banned in Holland yeah, because truffles. And it truffles, but truffles yeah. are strong. But because of what happened with the, sorry, I think it was a, I can't remember the nationality of the tourists, but two two tourists took them and then committed suicide. They thought they could fly and they jumped off a balcony. I don't think that that's a suicide thing. But, yeah. but the thing there must have been a whole complex of things yeah. that they were doing. That's no. not a suicide. Turned out that those people were already predisposed to heavy mental issues, mm. right? And with anything, I always say, so if I'm in a bad mood, I won't drink, right? Yeah. Because I'm like, whatever, whatever yeah. drug you take, you can be like, it's, it's gonna, gonna like, you got to, you got to, we're running, yeah. we're running a CPU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got, we got, we got two hemispheres running. We're running this CPU, yeah. and and it's like software, and if you've yeah. got. If you've got a if you've got a setup where your OS is chock full of viruses and crap, and there's no functioning memory left to process, and you've got no spare hard drive space, and it's sluggish and slow, and you put like powerful new software on, what happens? It's just gonna make it, it hangs. <laughs> it just hangs and chokes, and you gotta hit a reset button. Yeah, right? yeah. it's the same thing. It's like you gotta be running not clean. But you gotta be like, you know, yeah. functioning pretty well. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like you upload powerful software, and the, and the, the other like electro um, uh, electrostatic analogy I like to use is the uh, like spectrum exposure. So you, it's like graduating from dial-up to to broadband to mm. you know to cable, where it's like. You, You've got X, your normal waking consciousness, and your the your brain is processing X portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah. So you've got sound, light, hearing, the the density of vibration that gives you touch, all the yeah. rest of that. And then you upload this powerful new software, and you crank it from fifty six k dial up to broadband, and you got this massive sport spectrum of electrostatic activity going on. It was always going on. You just didn't have an antenna for it. Yeah, so you weren't paying attention. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah. And now all of a sudden... Back to the binaural beast, that's the same, same yeah. shit, man. Now the floodgates are open. Like, yeah. And, but likewise, you want to, you know, if you, if you want to graduate to like downloading uh, massive quantities of, of data, yeah, you probably want a virus, you know, scanning. You probably want some like, you know, because yeah, otherwise you, you you might download some crap like that you don't yeah. want. And might this is an issue that I found system. with doing several 
points of uh, grams. Several grams. I just wanted to be fucking vague. I don't know. Several grams yeah. with a bunch of people. It, all that shit that's in their mind goes expanded, right? Yes. And all that shit that's in your mind goes expanded. Yeah. And somehow, if you think of a bunch of fucking gears that are rotating, but they expand and they get bigger, they, they just start <laughs> crossing shit up. Like, yeah. And, and <laughs> everything gets mixed up in the wash and shit that's happening over there starts happening over here. But do I, you know, it's weird. Do you know, but the, do you know what the thing about that is that, that I think is concerning is that happens now without us noticing it. Yeah, exactly. Right, sort of, and you have no fucking clue. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how to put it? Well, we We're, use like we use pretty poor language to try and characterize it, but we'd say things like, you know, ah, uh, that guy gave me bad vibes. Yeah, he gave me bad vibes. Right. That was because he was I sitting there thinking up. about fucking kids yeah. while I was telling him about how awesome my plant-based meat was. I don't know why, but he was giving me I fucking weird vibes, vibes, man. Man, no, I, I remember um, to to remain vague, but I remember there was a a point. And no, I remember quite distinctly where I was picking up on everybody's vibe, and I just remember one guy there, just bad vibe, mm. bad vibe the whole time, and and it just sort of hit me. I'm like, he always gave me a weird feeling, but now, now it's amplified. Yeah, now and I like it even less. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> and I and I, I thought to myself. How fucking important is it to be able to notice that thing on a day-to-day? And our normal capability to notice is directly linked to like a level of like a, a functioning gut-brain axis because it's yeah. like a functioning gut-brain axis. And when we uh, like, look, we can measure out like you know you get you get some people who will refer to it like as a morphic field or whatever. But mm. if if you take it to it's like it's most base or it's most like demonstrable Western reduction scientific frame of reference. It's like we can measure how far our heartbeat extends an electrostatic field around mm. us. Like we can do that. That's pretty straightforward. That's yeah. pretty basic. Whatever that, whatever the scope of that is, is like I take as the as the baseline to which you're interacting with other people around you who's who are likewise emitting that electrostatic field. You kind of filter that out, like, immediately, though. Like, you know, you feel. Yeah. You just have this feeling for people who you do or don't want to deal with. And and that's, like, like, training ourselves to listen to our gut is hard because it's not... (laughs) Your gut is connected directly to your brain. There's a vagus nerve there. You know about the vagus nerve? We've got a second brain. I know that vagus nerve, but give us a rundown. And it's really funny because someone was sending me clips about, hey, check out this, hey, activate your vagus nerve. Activate it. It's good to listen to your gut. And and in doing so, like, and if you've got that humming or functioning, like, the degree to which you're likely to intuit someone else's vibe, like, heightens noticeably. So, yeah. You know, you, you're not even necessarily conscious of it, but if all of that's like, if it's all humming and working better, 
you generally make quicker decisions with your gut about people you gut feel. don't want to spend yeah, I have a more gut time. feel. It's like, yeah. i got a real bad gut feel about yeah. that guy and I'm not going to bother spending any more time or effort. Always listen to that. Yeah. If you got a gut feel, you got the all kinds of things around you telling life. you against your gut. You go with your gut. Yeah, the go biggest mistakes in my life have been when I've rationalized away that feeling. Mm, don't. Oh, yeah, I've, I Absolutely. know. But I've got I've got this that reservation where I didn't go, but this and this and this and this and this yeah, and this yeah, is yeah. all going for Justified. it. So it should Justified. work, you know. No. Yeah. Mm. It's well, like actually no, you should know when good to feelings to that. Mm. But yeah. not knowing that the there's there's things that we pick up on I think almost at a subconscious level, like micro expressions. Yeah. No, there's like how many billion bits of data that are coming at us that we filter out and say, yeah, that's important. That's it. That I remember. I remember. And, but there's all those other things that hit our sensors that didn't necessarily get recorded. Yeah, exactly right. But we have little micro recorders. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't understand why, but we're like, yeah, no, I'm heightened alert about that shit. I yeah. don't know why. I don't know why. But why does that fucking irk me? Yeah, it's like, oh, there's just something about that fucking guy. And then you, you mention it to someone, like, yeah, there's something about that fucking guy. Yeah. And, and then, like, oh, turns out he's a fucking, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eventually, you find out exactly what it was that you picked up straight away. Yeah. You don't know why. And that's the thing. It's like you've got all these billions of bits of data that are coming at you. And yeah. your brain has just, it, it's working efficiently like yeah. it should. Because, yeah. you know, you need to be able to tell your fingers to wrap around that glass to bring you the shot of whiskey, right? <laughs> you don't want them to tell you to fucking have your fingers doing what they would do during sex while you're trying to fucking have some whiskey, you know? Like, I, I just want a two in the, two in the what and what is it? I can't. I, I, and there's too much vibration, right? I mean, it's... Yeah. So, it's got to fit. Like, um, like, yeah, formative interest in like fungi and soil and dirt was when I was learning about guts and yeah and you know that yeah I was I, I came to a view that our society our culture is it's, it's profoundly sick it's like we are profoundly sick in, in, what, in <laughs> what sense well in many senses but I think it, it manifests in in our system of resource allocation in our system of justice our system of resource allocation like most of the predominant like most of the prevailing um technological themes that have defined our culture for the last 30 years are like pushing it off the edge of a cliff like it's not it's not it's not that they're bad it's that there's no balance it's that they're not they're not symbiotically engaged with the biosphere and so that like we are what we yeah we've been eating shit and so one of the big things for me was like okay well, and why i kind of got really interested in organic production biodynamics with the whole soil gut thing because i was like we're like we're tipping we're tipping so many chemicals all over our food and we eat all of that and then that massively blitz it's like a nuclear bomb for our guts like yeah it just massively simplifies what should be a super complex flora going on yeah and that that translates to like leaky gut and crappy function in our gut and all these proteins getting into our blood that shouldn't be in our blood 
It means that our gut brain axis isn't working. It means that all the like intuitive, you know, um, mechanisms by which we interact with and, and judge and judge other humans, all those are dodgy. Like everything's just like been dulled. Yeah. Know. It's not sharp. It's not like optimum. We were so far from optimum. So we have all this cool insight. We have all this cool knowledge. We have all this cool data. But we haven't managed to figure out how to um, how to transform that into like yes, optimal yes, settings for our culture and our economy and our society, um, and, and then we see the result. And then mushrooms help with that. Absolutely, that's that in was every the, aspect that we can imagine. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing is like all of it. Yeah. Day to day, the ones that we want to go to to increase or improve. We can find things that help us with that. Yeah. But our day-to-day, just our normal function. Yeah. We we can find but it, but a it, spectrum of things to work with that. Oh, absolutely. But you, you're absolutely right. As you were sort of talking there, I was thinking to myself, I was thinking about what you said about the way we currently manufacture our veggies and how... Hmm. Yeah, you had that profile going down, the nutrient nutrient mm. density going down. That is, if you've ever had, let's say you've had parsley from the shops versus parsley from your garden. Yeah. If you're, if you're chopping fresh fresh parsley from your garden, you can smell it around the yeah. house. And it's all, all those phytonutrients, phytochemicals, they degrade as soon as you start harvesting and they start degrading. So the distance between harvest and your mouth, like, you know, is has a huge impact on yeah. the nutritive value of whatever you're eating. Yeah. And then, you know, when you talk about that, like that nutrient density, it's like there's an ROI on eating. Mm. Like there's a certain amount of work and yeah. effort and energy yeah. that you have to output that you have to, you know, when it's chewing, you're burning at calories and then there's all these gastric juices and there's all energy in running. And if you're only getting, if you're pumping in, you know, 2X and then getting 1.5X out of, <laughs> out of whatever you're eating, plus a chemical load, plus a GM novel protein xyz for your blood to deal with that we've never dealt with before plus like you know so it's like we're we're, <laughs> we're hammering ourselves yeah Instead of eating and getting this like bountiful you know, <laughs> roi on what you yeah. guys it's like okay you're barely squeezing you're getting some fat out of it you're getting some calories you're getting some sugar getting a bit of starch but like all the complex phytonutrient profile and all these things in the bacterial profile it's none of it Mm. Just we nuked it all. Yeah, yeah. we got a bunch of zombies wandering around the planet. Well, we're reducitarians. We go straight down to just getting a bit of carbohydrate and fat. Mm. And when you go to a McDonald's and have that diet, you know, multiple times, that's mainly what you're getting: carbohydrates and fat. Yeah, I mean, there's some protein in there. You know, maybe. Maybe some vitamin stuff that they've left over. Maybe left over. But yeah. it's it's mainly about delivery of energy and happiness, you know. So you walk away, you've had your thing, and it's Get like boom, instant, yeah. instant, instant, instant. Yeah. Ooh, good. Yeah. But that's like the sugar, carbohydrate, and fat hit. We mm-hmm. want those things. That's our body hungers for them. But it, it just the, those things don't wrong. I like to indulge, right? Every now and then. But it's if you start having that day in, day out, man, it throws your system out of whack. You get too bad. You get moody so for much no bad. reason. Mm. You get depressed. That what was that show? Um, 
fuck it was it was a uh, super size me super size me uh, yeah. yeah that was disgusting <laughs> that yeah. was so gross but I just the one thing I thought was super interesting that they didn't touch on a lot was morbid and spell yeah that's, I think so was the deterioration of that bloke's the psychology health. of it all yeah. like he just did not look right at the end of that 30 yeah. days and that's dude 30 days is not fucking long at all yeah like 30 days is, is like yeah. that we find that like my son broke his leg He's yeah. six weeks in a cast. Shit, how do you break his leg? Oh, running, playing football, yeah. stopping really quickly and turning, <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh, back eight. Held him yeah. up for two well, hours, so he forgot how to be active. Apparently, <laughs> kids heal really fast, their bones heal back really strong, all that kind of thing. But you get thinking about all that, right? In, in the context of this. Fuck, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, what we, what we, I lost what I said before that as well. Um, you were uh, talking about we're talking about the mental impact of mental having impact. a crappy diet for thirty days and how. And then you went you bat, were, uh, then you went the bat aids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I said bat aids. Problem. Yeah, big yeah. problem of twenty twenty. Bat aids. <laughs> I can't remember where I was going, man. I'm I'm sure I had something good in there, but <laughs> I'll admit, and I don't want to carry that train on. <laughs> but um, I do want to touch back on just quickly. So Heston. Mm. So now, now you you guys are mates with Heston. Heston is a shareholder in the business. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Heston's developed. Yeah. We we. It loves what we did. This fucking restaurant's no no longer in. in that sucks. Yeah. It was, um, it was interesting because I remember I think you were on another podcast that I listened to. Um, and they, I think they were from the States. I've been on a couple. Yeah. And th- they didn't know who Heston was. Mushroom Revival. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great podcast by the way. So anyone. They are a big one. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, that was a really good one. There was a lot of things I was like, oh shit, I didn't know that. Um, but I was surprised that like everyone here knows Heston. Fact like Australia, UK, and on that magnitude, India and Singapore. Yeah. So as I was, I was a chef in America, and the thing is, like, I was in that society, that lifestyle. Everyone yeah. I knew knew Heston. Yeah. But then there was everybody who I didn't know. You know, I mean, like, you got to think about the people who are outside of the five blocks that you live in, I guess. But <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, as far as I know, whenever I was in America, everybody knew Heston. Yeah. Because uh, everybody I knew yeah. knew Heston. But yeah, here I am in Australia and looking at the fact that I talk to people who are all over the States and they're like, no, 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 I never heard of that guy. Yeah. I, Why? I, he's amazing. Yeah. Like, so I think that was one of the best meals I ever had. One of the best meals I ever had. By far. The most scientific approach to food is good. Yeah. I just got to say. Ever yeah. had was with Jim and my wife and Michael at Fat Duck. Oh, in we went to Heston's restaurant. Yeah, was. Was. Not yeah. only did we go to Heston's Oh, there's so many not only did. Yeah, not <laughs> only did we, but... Well, we spent, then, we'd spent a handful of days with him and the team prior to going back to London. Yeah. Oh, wow. They the understood us by the time we had already gone there. And little did we know, oh, to, uh, we kind of knew to a degree. Like, I'd done an interview with one of the, with one of the team at, so they could get some insight and yeah. some, you know, some background to help customise and specialise and make the meal 
or special for us. Yeah. And I kind of did that. Oh, that was interesting. Oh, I just kind of, you know, had a, had a bit of laugh about that. And that was like maybe two weeks before we left or went over to yeah. Europe. Everybody would have done that. Everybody who goes Everyone to the restaurant would have done that. Does that. They yeah. do a little interview. Personalization. They talk to you, personalize it a bit. Well, we'd spent like three, three, four days with the guys in the south of France and we'd been Bush in Provence and, and, yeah. oh. and, and eating and blah, blah, blah. And we didn't know it at the time, but they were like taking notes and cues. They were learning us like the CIA of food. They were. And then yeah. they were and then they were pumping this back to the team in London <laughs> to personalize aspects of our of our journey. And the meal yeah. was a journey. Like, you know, oh my god. This was just the most amazing. Special. There point. were elements of our uh, yeah, of our of our of, you know, poignant or meaningful moments or conversations we'd had. Yeah, there was not like just generic music shit. that we'd been discussing. Oh, yeah, aspects of they like, you know, pulled the points of the night that we were talking about. That's and end-to-end sensory. Yeah. And but, and when there's like there's like six parts of the journey, and of those six parts, some of them had two courses. So I think it was like eleven or twelve courses. It was a lot of input, and in every single course, there was some element from our from the time that we'd spent yeah. together that, that incorporated into yeah. the yeah. meal or into the eating experience Shit. or into some of the paraphernalia. It was pretty good. Was I mean, and, and we, we went as guests. Like most people pay like three or 400 pounds or per whatever. meal. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that yeah. when, when I, even here, when I went to his restaurant, I was like, fuck, that was a lot of money. It was worth it. It was yeah. worth it? Yeah, it was, exactly. I would have paid for that experience. That's well, the that thing. Was the like, thing. We were, I yeah, would have we walked paid. out going, I totally understand why people pay yeah, that we, amount of money for that. We now, walked out it's like, the same You're thing. not really yeah. buying a meal. Like, you're clearly not buying a meal. You're yeah. buying an experience. None of that. I've got to admit, even the the waitress on the nine the, and the waiter as well were just yeah. on point as well. Mm. Just perfect. Yeah. I, I agree. They had us pegged already yeah they knew who was who more than we had one vegetarian out of four of us they we had one and every time like just something automatic that would happen that was vegetarian would go to that guy yeah and uh, did you go to the you went to the one here the fat duck at the end of the meal they had they had this thing where you walk through a candy shop and and through the journey of the whole you could, thing, you can find that episode on SBS Food yeah. where they where they were resetting up the fat duck, and that the first time they used that piece of equipment. You get a coin during your meal, yeah, which is like what you would find in your breakfast cereal, like the prize, and then you get to put it in at the end and go through the candy shop. Wind a little hand, and yeah, click, boom, 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 lots of like fucking awesome. Yeah, no, like this whole like steampunk so like. That thing, that thing was like it was like three hundred thousand pounds or something, one hundred fifty thousand pounds for that thing. That was. But that's the thing is like on your way out of the experience, you go to the candy shop and you put your coin in and you get something. So four of us, we got a coin and you put it in and they rotate it and it and opens up and it pops out this little box and you get a bag of candies or that's fucking awesome lollies. We're really not doing this thing justice when we say like yeah. there's a candy shop that you go past them. No, point in. it's not like a milk bar. Like, no, no, this is like it comes out a of, scale it comes model. Out on, a, on a trolley. Yeah, and it's a it's a, a built like a dollhouse type building. That's it's a scale, scale model down. of like a four story factory uh, in, into <laughs> which is inbuilt like this complex gears and machinery and like that mechanized awesome. process that like you know if you can 
maybe imagine a giant like uh, a giant clock with a um, with a glass face or something so you can see all the gears and the whining mechanics and it makes the springs and the noises and the bloop, yeah. bloop, 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 and so that yeah it's, it's dropping this coin is and it just like it's not like a pez dispenser it's like a full like sensory circus that goes off in front of you it's like quite spectacular oh, mm. and i get i gave even more appreciation and the vegetarian's coin dropped in and popped out a vegetarian surprise like it didn't have any milk it didn't have any fucking meat in it it was like a full vegetarian chocolate so whatever (laughs) that was weird we had there'd been this there'd been this running theme from probably two of our trips previous where i decided i wanted jim to listen to opera <laughs> yeah so, well, we're just that, thing. different people you're, having you're different. not an opera fan I'm Jim anti-opera was not, Jim was anti-opera I was like come on Jim you can't be anti-opera like opera is like beautiful like, no 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 it's like classical no, music no, with beautiful no. singing I, I, no and then what, I was like alright and then I was like alright Jim this is no opera and he's like opera. hey that's beautiful and I'm like that's opera and he's like oh okay well then most opera sucks right what was the opera that you showed I don't listen to opera. This, well, the thing is, there's a whole thing to it. This is a no dormir, no, none shall sleep. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. thing. That's the particular one. His wife was there and she recanted the particular one that he had said to me. So, all right, back up like a month or so. We were in Thailand and having this discussion. <laughs> yeah. Was it Thailand or Malaysia? Malaysia. We were Malaysia. having this discussion yeah. in the back of a van. And he's like, I've been brought to tears over these certain operas. And I'm like, fuck operas. They're good, <laughs> they're good music. I love that reaction to you opening up. <laughs> <laughs> they're good music, but with people like overestimating what they should be saying. Like, ah! <laughs> right? Like, it's people screaming yeah. shit. Like, I don't, I don't like the people. I don't mind the music. Yeah. Right, but he's like, there are these things that have moved me to tears, and I'm like, I didn't give a shit. I don't. I hate it. <laughs> then I woke up the next day, and I'm like, you know what, Chris, you fucking motherfucker, I've been dreaming about this shit all night. It's been fucking keeping me awake. We're on a business trip. I don't give. Hey, you know what, fucking. Anyway, I had a, a major go. The track was called None Shall Sleep. Yeah, None Shall Sleep. It <laughs> ended up. <laughs> the opera name is None Shall Fucking Sleep. Anyway, he recorded that. His wife recorded that, and then. We went to France and had our amazing experience and then ended up culminating in a meal and talking about things and opera came up and I'm like, fuck opera. (laughs) I hate opera. This motherfucker introduced it to me and I couldn't (laughs) fall asleep and there's no way. And and then she's like, yeah, none shall sleep, blah, blah, blah. Turn out, we went to the fat duck. Yeah. And we were having these amazing culinary experiences and about probably three or four of the experiences in, they get you to walk along the beach and eat the beach as you're walking along it. This is part of what you're doing. So there's foam from the sea and there's a little seaweed and there's like sea, like scallops and you can eat those. And while you're doing this, they have this conch, this shell, this conch, 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 whatever. And it's got a little iPod inside and it's got some speakers so you can hear like that. Of the ocean. Like you could hear the conch, like if you put it up to your ear and you hear the the ocean, you know, like, and you're eating and you hear all this. 
and I'm eating and I'm like, then all of a sudden it's, it's like nunchell sleep that, that fucking opera is in my ear. Like, Well, so I'm, you, you mentioned not just like to. Oh yeah, but it, definitely, definitely. I mentioned like this whole not just like none of the mirror, whatever. And I'm eating, and I'm like fucking hearing this shit on the beach. And I'm like, fuck. Why would the fat duck do this to you? This is this is this is making me so angry. And I look up, and everybody around me is peaceful and just enjoying the. For, well, this, well, Jim goes. <laughs> makes it sound like a freaking. That is Actually, what it is is one of the most beautiful arias ever, and he's like, <laughs> makes him cry. <laughs> that so you that know it sound better than than what you would. Every <laughs> but when you're walking along the beach, do you want to hear that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> is that Pavarotti? Uh, yes, this is the the one opera singer right but we're walking along a beach, right? We're eating seaweed, we're eating sand and foam yeah. and fucking scallops. And we hear that, I'm like, and, and now look up and everybody else is serene and peaceful and just enjoying and closing their eyes. And like, does anybody else hear what the fuck I'm hearing? Yeah. <laughs> just does anybody else hear this shit? And they look and they're just serene. They're happy. <laughs> like, you don't fucking hear, do you hear what, it, did, did it start being operatic? <laughs> Do you hear that? And they're like, no, it's seagulls. And and I start passing it around. And no, they fucking, they optimized my little menu for me. They, so. Yeah. They customize they, everyone's music selections. Yeah. They customize everyone's, like, there's like, there's, there's customization through the whole meal, basically. And to the point, like, they made a, they made a CD for us. Yeah. So they, they, they made a CD. Yeah. And on the CD was. The album cover. <laughs> Yeah, we were on the album cover. Yeah, we had an we album band. cover. We had a conversation like three days earlier. Like, if we were a band, yeah, this would be our album cover. As yeah. we were walking love, song, out in the, in love songs to Bob Ross. Yeah, yeah. Because we were out in the provincial mountains, <laughs> in the provincial. looking at this amazing Bob Ross painting. <laughs> yeah, and we were talking about how this is amazing. This is a Bob Ross painting we're looking at. Yeah, they presented us with the CD whenever we went through that amazing little clinky. Yeah, here's your CD <laughs> at the candy shop. Love songs to Bob Ross, with like six different tracks on the back that had a list of things that we did when we were hanging out in Provence, as well as the cover, which was our band sitting on a mountain in Provence in the sun. That is awesome. Yeah, like all of that. Like it was a customization to a... And that makes it worth it like that. Oh, I would have paid for it. We didn't have to. It's like, this, this guy was my inspiration when I started. Yeah. And all of a sudden we're getting stuff like it's this. Nice. Like, yeah. yeah. Ha so happy. Man. Sun is shining. Yeah, I think we've been going for about three hours. <laughs> no, four. No, almost four. I do need to go. I haven't well, to get to. There we go. Awesome. Quickly, let's touch on it. How to cook mushrooms the right way. Mm. Okay. So, mushrooms, different structure than plants. This is a big thing. So, if you cook a, a bit of asparagus or a spinach or a Brussels sprout, you cook it in water. If you boil it for a long time, it's going to go to mush. Right? Yeah. That's what's going to happen. 
That's because the cell wall of the plant is cellulose and it just breaks apart. Mushrooms are a little bit different. So you can boil a mushroom for hours or days or whatever. It's going to stay in the same formation that it had. It might break open and let what's inside of it out, but it's not going to fall apart. That's a real key thing. So when I talk about the things you do to get a great tasting mushroom, it's let the inner cellular components come out. Mm. That's it. Yeah. So boiling the mushrooms first allows that to happen. Yeah. So you can do it with a pot of boiling water and chuck in mushrooms and wait until that boils down. When you find, when, when that boils down to almost gone, you'll see all the intercellular components come out and those umami, the glutamates, uh, all the things that really make that strong flavor start to concentrate and they'll, they'll sort of gelatinize and turn brown. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's called a mylar process. Yeah. That's where sugars and amino acids plus heat just form some amazing, wonderful components. You can't do it when there's too much water around. And it doesn't happen when there's too much water around. So when it boils away enough, that's when it starts getting that deep, dark brown yeah. color. Right? Yeah. The thing is, it will never happen if you don't get those components outside of the cells. So if you start with oil and put mushrooms on top of oil, like olive oil or whatever, beautiful oil, it sears the outside of the cut mushroom or the mushroom. And those intercellular components, even though those cellular components do break open, they stay inside, they're locked inside. And you get this rubbery, slippery, weird thing. Yeah. Instead of those intercellular components coming out and getting browned up. The best thing to do is either freeze them or dry them or boil them. But the best thing you can do as a normal everyday sort of consumer is you take a punnet, put it into a pot, a whole punnet in a small pot, crowd it with a little bit of water. Yeah. And that water will draw out those inner cellular components that'll reduce down to this wonderful amazing brown sauce yeah that you can then cook up onto the mushrooms that have been like wilting the whole time yeah and when all the water's gone and it sizzles and the brown starts sticking to the bottom of the pan that's when you can put in your oil garlic shallot whatever you want to flavor them and just mix it around and that stuff will stick to the outside of them and it'll be the most amazing meaty non-meat thing that you could ever create. Like, and I, and I, can, I can vouch for that because I, I did your recommended cooking process yeah. on the beef brisket. Yeah. Um, Fable. My it works. And, and, uh, yeah, I remember texting really? you both you guys. Beef brisket, yeah. 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 It works. Oh, the same cellular structure shit still happens. Like, I say shit. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing still happens. The same thing holds true. Trust the process. Yeah. I never even considered yeah. doing it without product. I just... Do it, do it with the process. It's yeah. the same. Like if we were to extract more and more and more, the other, like the we could keep getting it out. That's the thing. When you put water and a, a substance, there is a concentrated amount of whatever's in the substance there, right? So the water 
just has a natural effect of drawing the substance out. Mm. Yeah? Because naturally, things want to move from high concentration to low concentration. That's just natural. They want to balance out. It's a, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, across uh, osmosis across a membrane, all yeah. that stuff, right? Try to reach equilibrium. Yeah, equilibrium, yeah. that's it. Across a whole fluid, and air is a fluid. Water is a fluid, all that. Yeah. Right? So it wants to be that. No matter what you put in water, it wants to be equally as flavorful. Yeah. So if you over water your sauce or put too much water in whatever you're cooking, you need to wait until water evaporates off so the flavor concentrates enough for it to be tasty, right? Yeah. That's what you got to do. In this case, where you put our product or mushrooms or anything with this structure in, the water is going to wash over the cell wall. The cell is going to give what it's got into the, into the external fluid. So if you evaporate all that off, you still have the original concentration, you still have the original amount, but you've added mylar effect to it. So those aminos, those sugars, they've gone through an additional like meatiness, like in, in, improvement. Yeah. That's the thing. Man, and, and I can vouch for that. There's much more to give, no matter what. Guys, thank you so much.